All right, all right. It is the Chief Stone Podcast. Welcome into this episode. My name is Farzine Vasugi, and hope you guys all had a great weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend as the Chiefs are back, uh, back in the practice facilities with team workouts underway. I'll give you guys my thoughts on that. A lot to get into here on this episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. As you can see, with the runtime. For this episode, I'll get into that in just a moment. Welcome in everyone. If you guys want to interact with me, I am on social media, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Give my Facebook page a like and uh, follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. That's the tweet machine right there. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on Podbean. And hit the share button as well for those links for the podcast. Uh, so part of the reason, uh, actually the reason why this episode is so long, we are going to be joined by a friend of mine, a movie director. His name is Stu Stone, and he may be a Chiefs fan, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but uh, he has a newly released documentary out, uh, and I'm going to get into it. It's not a football nor a Chiefs documentary, so you might be wondering why is Stu going to be on the podcast. I'm going to get into that in just a moment, so... Uh, yeah, by the way, I will say, even though he's not a, it's not Chiefs-related, he does actually have a very, very cool Travis Kelsey story to share with us, and he actually has an interesting Chiefs story to share. We get into that in our interview with Stu, which is uh, a little more than an hour, so very long conversation. Uh, again, I'll, I'll explain why Stu's going to be on the podcast in just a moment. A lot to get into on this episode. The Kansas City Chiefs have signed linebacker and defensive end Jeremiah Atauchu. I will talk about that. Uh, the Chiefs, as I mentioned, are back in the team facilities. They are beginning their off-season workouts. Not practices necessarily, but off-season workouts will start on Monday for the Chiefs. In fact, all of the NFL teams that have a returning head coach, they can start as early as April the 15th, and I assume every NFL team is going to begin their off-season workouts uh, on Monday, today on Monday. So you've got that going on around the NFL. So you'll see a lot of news stories around the NFL this week, uh, especially on Monday afternoon, Monday evening. So if you're wondering why you get a lot of uh, Bleacher Report or ESPN football notifications, that's why. Speaking of around the NFL, Sean McVay had a very interesting comment about Todd Gurley. And I want to get into that. There is more Steelers drama. However, this time it includes a former Kansas City Chief, and that is Steven Nelson, who just joined the Steelers. Plus, Tiger Woods won a major. By the way, you may not know this. The last time Tiger Woods won a major was in 2005. And in 2005, to put this into context, the Chiefs had Trent Green as their quarterback. Dick Vermeil coached his final season with the Chiefs the same year. Derek Johnson was drafted by the Chiefs, obviously his rookie year, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, shows you... Uh, a lot has happened since uh, Tiger last won a major, and I'll, I'll get into that uh, later on in the podcast as well. Someone put a very hefty bet on Tiger Woods to win. I'll tell you about that as well. Now, I do want to explain why uh, this podcast is so long and uh, why am I having Stu on the podcast. Uh, first of all, let me just explain. Uh, Stu, uh, he hosts a podcast called TSM Radio. He is a singer as well. He's a producer. A movie director. I mean, he does so many things. He's also a pro wrestling personality, which we'll talk about on the podcast as well with him. Uh, has a very interesting relationship with uh, Bob Saget, uh, of course, known as Danny Tanner on Full House. Uh, his uh, relationship with 
one famous pro wrestler, and also with Jamie Kennedy and a couple of other things we get into. Uh, but his music, Return to the Stone Movement, uh, th- that is worth giving a plug. Check it out. Uh, Stu released, uh, and Stu is so, someone who I've gotten to know over the years. We've had a lot of conversations, so I consider him a friend, and that's another reason why he's coming on the podcast, and that's why the interview was so long. But uh, Stu released a documentary. He and his family, and, and a, plus a friend of his also involved, uh, they worked on a very fascinating documentary together, and... It is called Jack of All Trades. I highly suggest it. It is it is about the boom of baseball cards in the 80s and the 90s. And he wanted to really go into baseball cards. And he wanted to document this whole adventure of him discovering his baseball cards. I guess a family member had passed away and uh, he had all these boxes waiting for him. He had been saving them for a long time and Stu... Thought it was ready, uh, ready to to sell, get a lot of value, and, and that wasn't the case. I know we've all had these kinds of collections before with baseball cards, football cards, uh, whatever the case might be. I know that they have pro wrestling cards now. Uh, I mean, it's 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 out there. You've got a lot, a lot of different kinds of trading cards and sports. And Stu gets into it, but uh, Stu's father, Stu has an estranged father, and he gets involved with this because his father used to own a baseball card store. And in the because the world is so small, and in the midst of them filming this documentary, they come across someone who knows where Stu's father is. And if it wasn't for Stu making this documentary, he would not know about his father. So it is a very, very fascinating story. And Stu is going to come on this podcast. And uh, I've, I've got some questions about the documentary. He's going to open up a little bit about the decision to want to track down his father and everything in between uh very very cool so again it's not chiefs related it's not nfl related necessarily although we do talk some chiefs uh with Stu stone and again like i said earlier he actually has a very cool story to share about travis kelsey and he also explains uh his uh only time ever attending an nfl game and it involves the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, a lot of things we get into with Stu. So again, I'm just warning you, uh, if you're wondering why the podcast is long, that is why. If uh, ho- Hopefully you guys will be interested in it. Because again, we, we do talk about a lot of things with documentary. And we, we we talk about his career. If You guys may not know his name necessarily. But he has a lot of work that maybe you are familiar with. He's been on a lot of kid shows. Uh, he was on Magic School Bus, Babar, Goosebumps, uh, X-Men, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of popular shows that he was on, and as, he, as he's grown up over the years, uh, he has worked on so many other projects. He was on MTV with uh, Jamie Kennedy on Blowing It Up, uh, and that's where I actually worked with Bob Saget, and he talks to us about his relationship with Bob Saget, uh, which is really cool, uh, plus his uh, pro wrestling uh, adventures as well. So uh, a, lot, a lot of things we're going to get into with Stu. So again, because this is not a Chiefs, uh, interview, a, a Chiefs-related uh, guest that, that's coming on the podcast. We're going to have the interview after the closing segments. So if you are interested, you know, maybe listen to the first few minutes. If it's intriguing to you, hopefully you guys keep listening. But if not, hey, certainly understandable. Uh, but uh, at the very least, check out his podcast and his music. Uh, definitely check out his documentary, Jack of All Trades. Again, it's about the boom of baseball cards in the 80s and the 90s, and I think... A lot of people, even if you're not a baseball fan like myself, uh, I, I did collect baseball cards growing up as a kid. My dad would give me a few packs over the years. Uh, that is something that 
I think a lot of people would be very interested in checking out. So hopefully you guys do stay tuned for that and check out his documentary. I cannot stress it enough. It's out there on iTunes. It's on Google Play. Um, if you have a DirecTV like I do, you can go on the DirecTV app and uh, rent it on there. or The uh, DirecTV app, but also on demand on DirecTV. So it is out there on several networks. I know Xfinity as well has it. Um, but hopefully you guys can find a way to check it out because I watched it. It was available for more than a year, but it was only available in Canada. Finally available worldwide. And man, I've got to say it was worth the wait for me personally because I, I know Stu a little bit. And, uh, man, I was really looking forward to this. And the people who I talked to who had seen this, they said it was a great documentary and I certainly enjoyed it. So hopefully you guys uh, can check it out and hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. Again, Stu will be on later on in the podcast. We'll do it after the closing segments. Uh, so technically they're not the closing segments, at least for, for this episode. Uh, but let's get into some Chiefs news because there are a couple of things I do want to get into with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, first things first, uh, the only newsworthy Chiefs topic in the past week, really, and this is usually the dead period. There are two dead periods in the NFL. One of them is happening right about now where uh, a lot of the free agents have signed after the first and second waves of free agency. That's where you see a lot of the notable players uh, who sign with teams. Uh, and by this time, most free agents, uh, notable free agents at least, they, they're, all, they're on NFL teams and therefore, by this time after the first two waves, you don't see a whole lot of signings. And you've seen that with the Chiefs. Uh, and you see it with uh, really all uh, of the other 31 NFL teams. Uh, but the Chiefs did make a signing. Uh, Jeremiah Itachu joined the Chiefs. Uh, but uh, to, to get into that, the other uh, dead period in the NFL, really it's after OTAs for most of June and really all of July until training camp gets underway in late July for most NFL teams. Uh, some teams do arrive a little bit uh, earlier in July, at least the rookies and QBs. Uh, but those are the two dead periods. But anyway, uh, Jeremiah Tachu has signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. He has experience in both the 4-3 and in the 3-4, playing as a defensive end in the 4-3. Last year with the New York Jets was a 3-4 outside linebacker. Has experience in... Both defensive schemes uh, played for the Chargers from 2014 through 2017. So four seasons with the Chargers and then played for the New York Jets last season. 13 career starts for Jeremiah Atachu. 12 of them came in his second year in 2015 where he had six sacks, one forced fumble and 55 tackles. The highest he's ever had in a single season and it's not even close uh, the next highest was the following year with 11 tackles. So that just shows you his career hasn't necessarily ha uh, been the greatest so far with all the things that he's had going on. There are various reasons for that, his performance plus injuries. The only other start he's ever had in his career came the following year, in, which was in 2016. Just one start that year, and that makes up for his 13 total career starts. 12 career sacks and 92 tackles. Three forced fumbles. Uh, he had two sacks and nine tackles, just one forced fumble last year with the Jets in 11 games before being placed on IR. Speaking of uh, last year being placed on IR, that was due to a concussion he had suffered uh, midway through the year. And in 2016, he suffered a broken foot in Week 10 while he was with the Chargers. Uh, in fact, uh, adding to the list of injuries in 2014, not, not a... Player in the NFL just yet, but he did sit up the combine due to 
a finger injury, and that uh, forced him to miss the combine. However, he did participate in his pro day, making up for that. Uh, he was briefly with the 49ers last offseason, was let go before the season got underway, and then signed with the New York Jets. He was a second-round pick and 2014 out of Georgia Tech. Turned 26 this year. By the way, speaking of uh, his college, he actually did get a scholarship offer from Kansas State. Kansas State, excuse me. So there was an opportunity to play for legendary head coach Bill Snyder, but that opportunity did not happen. So he ended up going to Georgia Tech. Uh, look, not a guy that you would start on an NFL team, uh, but the Chiefs are doing anything and everything they can to get players who have experience in the 4-3 defense. And Jeremiah Tachu is one of those guys. We'll see exactly what happens to him. Can he maybe excel and play a little, little bit better? Uh, that's kind of the expectation I have from guys like Emmanuel Ugba, Ugba, excuse me, and Alex Okafor. So are those the guys that are going to maybe excel and do a little bit better under Andy Reid, a new defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnuolo? Uh, that's going to be something that I'm interested in seeing. And, and obviously those guys... Uh, I'm sure they're going to be made available to the media on Monday when the Chiefs do return to team facilities. Uh, but there, there you have it, another addition for the Chiefs. Uh, just trying to add on to this uh, new defensive scheme. They've got more players that have ex- experience in this 4-3 defense. you got a lot of players to really account for and guys to work with too. Having familiarity is very important. I mean, think about this. It's not rocket science. We see this all the time in sports. When you see a head coach go to another team, or if you see an assistant coach go to another team, or if you see a coach from college go to the NFL or the NBA, you see him try to recruit some of his former players, uh, or at the very least, maybe when he's building his staff, if, uh, if someone was an offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and they go and they become the head coach of the Jets. Well, maybe they want to get the tight ends coach from Kansas City and make him the offensive coordinator uh, because of the past connections there. So uh, this is one of those things where, again, familiarity is key, especially for the Chiefs this year. I mentioned uh, when we had Matt Stagner on the show last episode, uh, we had the transition from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes last offseason. And this offseason, we have the transition from the 3-4 defense to the 4-3. And I think that is going to be a story that will be brought up and discussed again quite a bit once the draft takes place or even leading up to the draft because this is a Kansas City Chiefs team that's that's really close to a championship. They were an overtime period away from reaching a Super Bowl. And if you can provide some balance on this team and... Look, we'll see about the 31st-ranked defense. I've all, I've always been saying this year that it's it's not too difficult to improve when you were ranked second to worst, but we do have the fear, though. There is a lot of change, and change can be exciting but also nerve-wracking for for everyone. You part ways with D Ford. You trade him to San Francisco. You release Justin Houston. You release Eric Berry, and I know Eric, Eric Berry... Wasn't providing a whole lot. A lot of people will say that he was dead weight on this football team, especially with the cash that he was hogging up. And I think that's a very fair statement to make about Eric Berry. As much as we liked him, doesn't mean we can't be critical of his current status or what was his status at the time with the Chiefs. But this is a guy that wasn't really contributing to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs also 
were not willing to extend D Ford and Justin Houston. And part of that has to do because they want to extend Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Chris Jones instead. So for the time being, you you look at what the Chiefs had last year and there was that big imbalance. And you know that your offense is going to be good in 2019 unless something crazy unexpected happens. But your defense is the one that you're really keeping an eye on the most. Again, 31st ranked. It's not too hard to improve on, but there is a little bit of fear because there, I mean, there's so so much change with this defense. A lot of new faces from the entire coaching staff and a couple of assistants returning, but the, the, the key positions, defensive coordinator and the secondary linebackers and defensive line coaches are all new guys. Got a lot, you got two new pass rushers for 2019. And I mean, we can say that before even knowing who the starters are, because last year, your primary pass rushers, your edge rushers were D Ford and Justin Houston. Now, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Agba? Is it going to be Okafor? Uh, could we be in for a surprise? Maybe Atachu gets a starting nod in week one. Could it be a draft pick in the first round that gets a starting nod? Uh, there, there are a lot of things to be aware of with this Chiefs defense as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. And I'm not exactly sure where this team's going to go in the first round. There are a lot of options. A lot of people think cornerback would be the wise move, especially after picking up Bashad Breland. You're still struggling from the loss of Marcus Peters. Chiefs cornerbacks, they, they weren't too bad last year when you look at Pro Football Focus's rankings, and I, I don't have those in front of me, nor, nor do we need to bring that up. Uh, Orlando Skandrick, I think, was in the 40s for most of the year. Kendall Fuller wasn't too bad. Steven Nelson, he was surprisingly higher than I thought, and I'll get into Steven Nelson a little bit later, Uh but this is a Chiefs defense where you didn't have the impact player at that cornerback position since you traded away Peters. You had Bashad Breland, who the Chiefs really wanted last year, did not work out. Now you got him this year. You added Tyron Matthew. You got two two really good defensive backs that you wanted last year. You got him a year later. What if you add a little bit more power through the draft? That is going to be very interesting, and there are a lot of directions the Chiefs could go into with the first round. Uh, I know we've seen a lot of unexpected things, but given that the fact that the Chiefs were great on offense last year, yeah, I would, I would, I would say there's a ninety percent chance they go defense. The only exception would be is if they wanted to get an offensive lineman. You do have a center that you've got to replace in Mitch Morse, and. Maybe you do have a bit of a question at the guard position. I mean, we'll see exactly. I know Eric Fisher, the Chiefs think highly of him. He was a pro bowler to the surprise of many people. And I said he was going to make it based off name recognition because he's on a winning football team. And that's what ended up happening, I think. Uh, Because let's be honest, people do not know how in the hell to vote for offensive linemen. They just go based on whoever's on a winning football team. And they assume that if they're atop the conference well then that must mean that they've got the best offensive line in the conference and I think that's why Eric Fisher was able to get in uh and not Mitch Morse or excuse me not uh Mitchell Schwartz uh people might say well Mitchell Schwartz was offensive lineman of the year from pro football focus yes but Schwartz was on a number one overall pick whereas Fisher was so he has that added to his recognition and that's why it ended up happening uh the only way I can see the Chiefs not going defense with the first round is if there's an offensive lineman there that maybe they really like. Or if there's a running back that 
surprisingly falls to them to them at 29 or if they trade up to, for a running back they really like to replace Kareem Hunt and maybe have go along with Damian Williams or maybe uh, compliment Damian Williams well then I think that's going to be uh, a move that they could make if they f- are inclined to, to to do so over a defensive player but I'm almost certain given that the Chiefs are coming off the third highest scoring offense in NFL history and their defense was ranked 31st uh, especially when when you co-led the NFL in sacks with 52, yet so many of your contributors there in D Ford and Justin Houston, you uh, traded away or released. You got to find a way to fill those voids as well if you want to be among the league leaders uh, as a team in sacks. And I think that's a, a, a very key thing for a defense. If you don't have a pass rush, you're not going to have a very good defense. Surprisingly for the Chiefs, they had a good pass rush uh, f- for most of the time. Wasn't consistent, uh, despite co-leading the NFL in sacks, but their defense was just terrible. Unable to take advantage of that, and you don't see that from a defense often. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Before we talk about the Chiefs returning to, uh, to, to the uh, practice facility, I do want to talk about Earl Thomas for a moment because he did an interview on the Rich Eisen show. I believe it's on Fox Sports Radio. And Earl Thomas said that he agreed to a one-year, $12 million deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. We normally do not get details like this with other teams that in which the deal did not happen. This is the first time, at least to me, I can recall anyone talking about contract details with the Chiefs when they did not end up signing with the Chiefs. Uh, I'm sure it's happened with other NFL teams out there, but as far as the Chiefs go, uh, I've never heard this before. Uh, Earl Thomas did confirm that he had a one-year, $12 million deal that he verbally agreed to. He had a phone conversation with Andy Reid the night of the agreement, and the Chiefs had agreed to send a private plane to Earl Thomas and and fly him out to Kansas City so they can put ink on the paper and get the deal done. However, Earl Thomas said his agent contacted him the next morning, early in the morning, and said that, that there was a better offer on the table from Baltimore and he wanted that offer really badly. And I guess the Chiefs were not willing to go above what Baltimore was offering. And I'll read that number in a moment. Uh, I mean, it's been out there for a while. I don't think we've ever discussed this on the podcast. We did mention Earl Thomas won't be coming to Kansas City. But we never talked about how he almost came to Kansas City. But uh, Rich Eisen asked, hey, you know, you agreed to go to the Chiefs. But then you have this deal with Baltimore. And that's who you signed with. How did you tell the Chiefs? And he talked about how he felt bad and he didn't want to, quote, disrespect the Chiefs because he was dead set on going to Kansas City. In fact, the day he signed with the Ravens, he made it clear that he thought he was actually going to go to Kansas City. Uh, He ended up signing a four-year, $55 million deal with the Ravens, uh, making uh, $13.75 million per year on average. So $1.75 million more than what the Chiefs were offering with their $12 million one-year offer, according to Earl Thomas. Uh, It just sucks, man. Earl Thomas almost became a Chief twice. Uh, If you go back to during the season, there were a lot of reports that the Chiefs were basically ready to get Earl Thomas from the Seahawks in a trade, but Earl Thomas uh, suffers a foot injury, and unfortunately, that move doesn't happen. Maybe fortunately, because... If the Chiefs traded for him and that injury happened in KC, 
I mean, there would just be a lot of backlash, and there's bad luck in that. People would still criticize Brett Veach for it, although you can, no one can see an injury coming. You just, you just can't. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was a defensive end from Florida, and I can't remember which team he signed with. I think it was Derek Harvey, but I think his first day of OTAs with his new NFL team, he suffered a season-ending injury. Or actually, I, scratch it. I got, I got him mixed up with the. Other defensive end that the Jaguars uh, drafted, it, it's, it was actually Dante Fowler. Uh, yeah, Dante Fowler Jr., uh, he was actually the one who tore his ACL. That was in, I think, 2015 was when he was drafted. Yeah, 2015 with the Jaguars. He tore his ACL the first day of minicamp, and he was the number three overall pick that year. I mean, can you criticize the Jaguars because they're top pick, a top five draft pick uh, towards ACL on day one of practice. I, I mean, it's just bad luck sometimes. Uh, I, I, I can see it though. I, I could, if, if Earl Thomas came to Kansas City and if that foot injury happened on his, on the first game with the Chiefs, I can see the backlash the Chiefs would get because God knows how you're supposed to expect an injury from, from a player. Uh, uh, unless they're an injury prone player, but which at that point you wouldn't even trade for them at that point. But uh, look, man, uh, he almost became a chief twice. He could have teamed up with Eric Berry late in the season. Uh, then we thought Eric Berry and Tyron Matthew were going to team up. And when, when Tyron Matthew signed, there was optimism that maybe EB could stay healthy, but we were a little too optimistic at the time. EB got released shortly after Matthew signed. And now we'll always wonder what could have been with Tyron Matthew and Earl Thomas. Uh, but look, at the and I saw a few Chiefs fans criticize Earl Thomas for picking money over a Super Bowl team. And, and look, there are some players out there that do consider that do consider a good team over money. If it's a little bit of a difference with money, I mean, if we're talking a couple hundred thousand dollars, look, some of these players uh, they make a lot of money off endorsements. Look at Patrick Mahomes right now, who's getting endorsements left and right. Uh, but as far as Earl Thomas' situation goes, $1.75 million, and not only that was the difference, he got a four-year offer from the Ravens. The Chiefs only gave him a one-year offer. And look, man, I know with Earl Thomas coming off an injury, there is that concern. I mean, look at why the Chiefs let Justin Houston and Eric Berry go. They were taking up a lot of cap room while dealing with so many injuries. Uh, Earl Thomas would demand a lot of money, and he's a guy coming off a very significant injury. So it wouldn't make sense for the Chiefs to make that move to offer a four-year deal for a guy who's coming off an injury. Uh, but players in the NFL and in all of sports, really, they love long-term offers. When, when there is that long-term deal on the table, they want to take it over a one-year deal for sure. They don't want to have to worry two off-seasons off in a row. Where are they going to play? Uh, now Earl Thomas, assuming he can stay healthy and, and do well for the, the Ravens, he has four consecutive years where he does not have to worry about what's going to happen to him. Unless there's a surprising cut or, or if he doesn't do well and they release him, uh, that doesn't that's not something Earl Thomas has to worry about for a while. That's another thing I think Chiefs fans need to consider when criticizing him for picking the Ravens over the Chiefs when the Chiefs were one overtime period away from a Super Bowl. I get that. But listen, man, these players, they got to look after themselves too. Yeah, sure, they, they want to win a ring. Everybody does, but they also want that security as well. Some of these guys are, and I don't know Earl Thomas's 
personal life exactly. Uh, I mean, if he's got a family, if he's married. But the thing that bothers, and I don't think a lot of football fans realize this. Yes, these guys are rich and it's easy for them to move. But but it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. If, it, if an NFL player, especially if a guy's on a one-year deal, it is very easy to cut that player after training camp, after the preseason, if he and if he doesn't do well. And guess what happens right after the preseason, or even right before the end of the preseason? That's when school starts for a lot of kids. And by that time, if a player gets cut and goes to another team or gets traded, a lot of them take their families with them. And it's not easy to have your kids start school two weeks in and surprisingly just say, hey, look, we're packing up and going to a new school. I mean, I don't have kids, so obviously I've never sent a kid to school before. I've never I've never had that, but uh, I, I'm aware that these kinds of things are not easy to, to deal with. Uh, maybe it's a little bit better if you're into the school year, a couple of months or whatnot. We, we, you see that sometimes where a new kid is in school a couple of months into the school year, but uh, to do it so early, I mean, that's just really bad timing because for whatever reason in our educational system, we, we don't have uh, we don't have schools all starting at the same time. Some schools start at completely different times, almost a month apart. The reason I make a big deal of this is because there are former players who have said this kind of thing. So this is not me just saying this because it sounds like a crazy excuse, but there are a lot of NFL players that do consider this kind of thing if they have kids, if they have a family. So don't take it from me. Take it from a lot of the guys who were former NFL players and our current analysts. I heard Teddy Bruschi say this. I want to say in 2011 or 2010, I can't remember what year exactly, but there was that topic of, uh, notable players that do get cut surprisingly right after the preseason and they have to go find a new home and they want to take their families with them. They don't want to stay in a hotel and talk on the on the phone with their families four or five times a day. They, they'd rather bring their family along with them. So keep that in mind when you consider Earl Thomas and why he took a four-year deal over a one-year deal with a Super Bowl contending team. I know you may not like that, but... At the end of the day, I don't think it matters what we think of what's best for Earl Thomas's personal life. This is what he thought was best for him, and he took it, and good for him, man. If this is truly what he thought was best for him, then you've got to respect that. Last thing I do want to touch on before we go to our closing segments, and uh, we'll have our interview with Sue Stone here on the Chiefs on the Chiefs on podcast. Uh, the Chiefs do return to the practice facility uh, on Monday today. Team workouts begin, uh, and there will be media availability. Andy Reid will be available. Patrick Mahomes will be made, uh, available. And there are, quote, select players who will be made available. Uh, I'm sure Patrick's going to get a lot of questions about his offseason activities, all the adventures that he's been on this offseason, uh, and, of course, getting that gig with ABC to be a draft analyst for the first round. So uh, I'm sure he'll be asked about that, uh, as well as his endorsements, and pro- plus his charity because he was on Jimmy Fallon. He's done so many things this offseason, and I'm sure he's going to be asked a lot of questions about th- those kinds of things. There is one, one player that the Chiefs absolutely have to make available. I don't think they will. But that player is Tyree Kill. Listen, man, I-, I said this a while ago, and when the report came out that his son has a broken arm, 
we just we saw the Snapchat video and the video did not add up to the report. And in my opinion, when you have a kid involved and the word is that his son has a broken arm, I think the agent and the team and maybe the player in some sort of joint statement need to speak out and say his son does not have a broken arm. They did not do that. I don't know why. If I was in that situation, man, and again, like I said earlier, I don't have kids, but if I did, and for if I was a pro athlete, and for whatever reason, if there was a report that I had broken my son's arm, man, I, I need to do everything I can to, first of all, clear my name in that area, and number two, to clear my kid's name uh, in, in the sense that he is okay and he's not hurt, and that nobody broke his arm. That never happened, and that is a big concern of mine. So I hope Tyreek Hill is made available. I think from a PR standpoint, they won't, but it would be smart to do so. Because look, it is 2019. We love to speculate. I am guilty of this. You are guilty of this. Everybody is guilty of this. When we hear these kinds of things, we we don't have any, any choice but to maybe take guesses on what happened. And in order to prevent speculation, especially with a very sensitive topic like this where Tyreek Hill was... Uh, involved in two of these in- uh, one, excuse me, one of these incidents the second one, his name was not in the police report but it happened at his home when he was not home uh, you've got you've to gotta make him available, you need to let him face the media and answer questions to clarify what the hell happened and look, maybe he does not speak maybe he has been advised by his agent and maybe by investigators to not speak publicly about this And I don't know exactly, I I know the NFL has a very strict rule now where players do have to talk, and maybe that's not in an off-season moment like this, maybe that rule is not enforced, but during the the regular season, I think a player has to speak at least once, and if a reporter wants to talk to a player after a game, he must speak to the media, otherwise that player can face a fine, that is something that Marshawn Lynch dealt with. Uh, Unless that player is dealing with an injury or if they are a non-starter, they are not required to speak to anyone in the media. I believe that is the rule. And again, Tyreek Hill, obviously a notable player. So, there there are so many things that we don't know about this that we need to know. Because there is a police report out there, two police reports out there, that involve Tyreek Hill... The first one for sure involves him. The second one, not directly, but it is happening at his home. And look, man, when you when you have police show up to your home, whether you're, you're there or not, it's never a good thing, especially when you are a public figure, a celebrity, a, a pro athlete like Tyreek Hill. And there are going to be a lot of questions. And if Tyreek Hill is not made available, well, then it's going to lead some people, especially some in the media, to speculate and say, well, maybe they are trying to protect him for reasons one, two, and three or, or whatnot. I think we've got to be very careful with this. If the Chiefs do not make him uh, available, if he is available, he may be allowed to answer some questions. He may have to turn down answering certain questions that are asked. I don't know. That remains to be seen. But that is the biggest thing I am curious about for, for Monday when players and coaches are going to be made available. Because everyone wants to see the end of this surely the Chiefs want to know what the conclusion to all this is because they were apparently working on a deal to make him the uh, highest paid receiver in NFL history at least that was the 
uh, expectations. So if Tyreek Hill is made available, then it would really help out Kansas City's case. It would definitely help out Tyreek Hill's case. Uh, I don't think we're going to get reach to a conclusion in all of this, but at least we need to hear his side of the story. There is a report out there that his son has a broken arm and people are insinuating that Tyreek Hill did it. I think at the very least, you need to make him available for a couple of questions. At some point, he needs to address that he did not hurt his son's arm and his son's arm is okay, if that is the case. I know the investigators are still working on it, and in a situation like this, where you don't know who the witnesses are, or at least not publicly, they have not been noted, I'm curious how investigators are going to get to the bottom of this. Again, that's why I'm not in that area, that field, but we'll have to see how that all unfolds. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, a uh, bit of a different episode. The closing segments won't necessarily be the closing segments because we're going to have the interview with Sue Stone after that. But for right now, let's go around the NFL. Rams head coach Sean McVay said that Todd Gurley will be a, quote, focal point of the Rams offense. For 2019, and I think that's a very interesting comment to make from Sean McVay uh, because you look at Todd Gurley, he ran the ball 23 times for 115 yards and a touchdown in the divisional round win over the Cowboys and in the NFC Championship win over the Saints where the Rams had to overcome a lot. Gurley ran the ball, I believe, just four times for 10 yards and a touchdown in the crazy win over the Saints, and in the Super Bowl, he ran just 10 times for 35 yards, so obviously not a good NFC Championship game, nor a good Super Bowl from Todd Gurley. Now, there were reports that came out uh, from The Athletic that Gurley has arthritis in his left knee, uh, the same knee where he underwent an ACL repair in 2014. McVay did discuss stem cell treatment options at the combine when asked about this. Uh, the Rams did say surgery won't be needed. Sometimes it, it, it's necessary, uh, especially when there is a loss of cartilage. That certainly would require surgery, but it appears that's not the case since the Rams said that surgery won't be needed for Todd Gurley. Look, he is a big part of your offense, and if I'm not mistaken, it was him and Kareem Hunt who were atop the NFL in total yards from scrimmage. This is a guy who was a big part of the Rams' success in 2018, and... I would say that he was a big reason that they went to the Super Bowl, but that's really not the case. At least in the NFC Championship game, he was—he had the touchdown, but anyone else could have ran uh, from one or two yards out. So Todd Gurley didn't really have a big hand in LA's success of getting to the Super Bowl. And I'd be very interested in knowing how does he recover from the struggles and dealing with, the, with arthritis in his left knee. How is that going to impact him in 2019 and for 2019 and beyond the Giants extended wide receiver Sterling Shepard kind of an interesting move in my opinion because and we talked about this quite a lot this offseason with the Giants and their quarterback situation could they go in the Kansas City model which is being named uh, because of Patrick Mahomes backing up Alex Smith for a year and then getting the starting reins but not everyone has that situation where they 
have Al- uh, have a pro bowler like an Alex Smith and then your eventual pro bowler backing you backing up the current quarterback and at the time for well, it was Alex Smith uh, not many teams have that situation Eli Manning is not a pro bowler right now so I don't know if you can say the Kansas City model would work but Sterling Shepard's a guy that they want to build around this offense needs a lot of help in New York and obviously the Giants see a lot of value in Sterling Shepard but who's going to be throwing the ball to him they are confident that Sterling Shepard can get the job done, but perhaps he can live up to his potential if he has the right QB to work with in 2019. I know some teammates have come out defending him, saying that I mean Eli is not the only reason. There are many reasons as to why the Giants struggle. Eli certainly has to hold some of the responsibility, but definitely not all of it, as what some teammates and even Gettleman has been saying publicly. Speaking of the Giants, uh, Kyler Murray visited the Giants. He also visited the Redskins. Now look, I know that there have been talks about how the Giants are going to stick with Eli Manning and maybe even next year keep Eli Manning on the team. Doesn't mean they're going to start him necessarily, but I think there's a telling sign that they want him in New York in the next two years if that is their game plan. But at the same time, I think it is worth looking into the fact that they visited with Kyler Murray. And another team that's on there is the Redskins. Look, obviously we just mentioned Alex Smith. He was there in Washington, and he's dealing with that brutal leg injury, and it's it's uncertain that he will ever play again. Uh, he's out for at least this year and maybe even all of next year, where he's still going to make, I believe, $33 million. So, I mean, he's got that, and he'll eventually recover and be able to, to walk at full strength. Uh, but you look at the situation right now in Washington. I mean, you had Colt McCoy, who... Didn't do very well filling in for Alex Smith. And then they went to their third-string quarterback, and they signed Mark Sanchez. It was just a matter. When you have to sign Mark Sanchez, that's when you know it's really hit the the drain with your quarterback situation. But the Redskins do need to consider a quarterback in this draft for sure. You went to Mark Sanchez. That's That's how low it got for the Washington Redskins. Now, listen, I think Kyler Murray goes number one overall. But the fact that they wanted to visit with him, you never know if they were willing to put out a big offer to get that number one spot. I doubt that Arizona would agree to that. Uh, But again, crazier things have happened. And for the Redskins, I think more so than the Giants, they're definitely going to look for a new quarterback this year. The, The Raiders also have been a team that recently there's been a lot of talks about them looking for a new quarterback and... Maybe that if they can find one better, they like Derek Carr, but if they can find someone better than Derek Carr, they will pull the trigger and they will make the move, trade up if they need to, or if that quarterback falls to them, then they will draft that quarterback as well. I think that's that's an interesting note because Derek Carr did a lot of great things for the Raiders a couple of years ago, and he, of course, was uh, an MVP candidate. He They handed him the richest contract in NFL history. At the time, and uh, I mean, he has never played a playoff game before, which baffles me that they still gave him that deal. But hey, you know what? Uh, I think that's uh, something that this Raiders team has to deal with. And listen, I I think Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but he has not shown consistency for the Raiders. And I think that's what the Raiders want. I think that's kind of like the Alex Smith situation. Look, Alex Smith, he's done a lot of great things in Kansas City, but the Chiefs could not go any further with him. Whereas with Patrick Mahomes, they did. And I don't think it's an accident that the Chiefs finally got to an AFC title game with Mahomes when they couldn't do so with Alex Smith. And they reached the title game 
the same year they make the switch. We'll see how that goes. Let's go out of bounds. Tiger Woods wins his first major since 2005. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. He uh, did his interviews afterwards, and he said that he thought he was done. He did not see this coming. Uh, But there is someone who did. Someone bet on Tiger to win in Vegas at SLS Casino. No idea where that is. If it's not on the strip, uh, that's probably why I don't have any familiarity with it, despite being in Vegas so many times. But he put down 85 grand. Uh, this this better did 85 grand and won 1.19 million dollars. Uh, the casino is owned by William Hill U.S. Sportsbook, and this is believed to be the fourth time a seven-figure payout has been made at a William Hill U.S. Sportsbook. The previous being the Eagles and the Patriots Super Bowl 52 match, where Nick Foles became Super Bowl MVP, defeating Tom Brady. Uh, look. Let me just say this. First off, that's insane. Uh, brave enough to put down 85 grand on Tiger Woods. Uh, what if that's someone's like 10th time trying to do that with Tiger Woods? And maybe this was the year where it finally paid off. But uh, nonetheless, let me say this about Tiger Woods. I know this guy's gone through a lot. Uh, he has been on the highest of highs and the lowest of absolute lows and he has had so many crazy things go on in, in his life. And with the, the cheating situation, uh, what was it, last year or the year before, where, I mean, he was charged, arrested, uh, supposedly under the influence uh, of something. I don't know what it was, but uh, I don't think that ended up being true when, when it all came up. But still, I mean, the, the fact that he has been low so much in his life uh, publicly... And now here he is back on top again. Uh, I know, it, especially with a figure like Tiger Woods, when he struggles, we love to laugh at it because maybe some people think he deserves it given what he did in his past to his wife and when he's under the influence, when he's driving. And maybe it's hard to even want to support a guy like that. But when they are succeeding, we love success stories. And right now, for the time being at least, this is a success story with Tiger Woods. So if he keeps this up, then gradually, eventually, in this day and age, the past is never forgotten. But at least at some point, you can gradually erase, maybe not completely, but erase a majority of those past actions, the negative actions that Tiger Woods has committed. For right now, he's on, on a high note and... He's got to feel at least pretty damn good, given everything he has gone through since 2009, the past 10 years, essentially. By the way, NHL playoffs are underway and in full swing, as are the NBA playoffs. I've got to say, man, I I love the NFL. I love MMA. But I've also grown into hockey. Maybe it's because Las Vegas finally got a team last year, and that's really what, what got me hooked onto the team. And the sport. And I've been following hockey a little bit more. I mean, I, I can't tell you a lot about the coaches and players and whatnot. I, I, I can't do that. But I do love watching hockey. And for whatever reason, I noticed this last year when I was following uh, the Golden Knights as well as the NHL playoffs. And I'm noticing that this year. And I don't know if this has always been a thing. But NHL, the NHL playoffs, man, they're they're pretty damn intense. You look at the Penguins and the Islanders, how physical that was. And I know it's a physical sport, but... 
uh, I believe it was on Friday after the game, the Penguins and the Islanders, I mean, they unleash in a brawl after the final horn. The Golden Knights and the Sharks, also on Friday night, the Golden Knights win their game, but after the final horn, there's a major brawl that ensues. Uh, well, I don't know what it is, but the intensity for this sport really picks up the most. Uh, I would say higher than the NFL. I'm not saying it's better than the NFL, but the intensity, there's a big change from the regular season to the playoffs in hockey. And you notice that if you follow the sport closely. You don't see that necessarily with football. We do see a lot of intense games in, in the regular season. We also see a lot of intense NFL games in the regular season. We don't see a lot of change in intensity. We see it in the NHL, though. And I don't know why that's the case. Maybe it's I mean, maybe the players are into it a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really into the sport of hockey a whole lot. I've, I've grown to love it a lot more over the past couple of years, but I don't know it as well as others would. So I think that's something interesting. And and maybe if, for anyone who's maybe followed the sport a lot more, maybe a lot closer than me for so many years, let me know if you know. Because I assume this has always been the case, but maybe I just haven't noticed it uh, because I didn't watch hockey a whole lot before then. By the way, another story to get into. Uh, In the NBA playoffs, Amir Johnson of the 76ers, he got fined by the team for pulling out his phone while on the bench during a 111-102 loss in Game 1 to the Nets while the 76ers were down by 16 when that happened. Uh, Johnson showed Joel Embiid, former Kansas Jayhawk, his phone, then put it away in his uh, warm-up pocket. Embiid said in an interview that Johnson's daughter was, quote, extremely sick and he was just wanting to check in on her. Although, if that's the case, I'm not quite sure why you're showing your teammate when there, when there's a game to be going on. I mean, if you've got personal business like that, keep it to yourself. Let, let everyone else focus in on the game. Uh, Johnson did not speak after the game. He probably knew that this was a big story as soon as he got to the locker room. Or maybe he just saw it on his phone when he was showing Joel Embiid. I don't know. Maybe he checked Twitter for two seconds and saw uh, the quick reactions. But... Uh, I'm not exactly. Maybe there was a better way that you could have gone about trying to figure out what's going on with your daughter. I'm not. I'm not sure. Keep in mind, in 2006, former Falcons head coach Jim Mora was fined $25,000 for using his cell phone during an overtime loss to the Buccaneers. Uh, he claimed he was using that phone to check in with Falcons officials to see what was going on with the Cowboys and the Redskins because I believe they had both won that same day, and he wanted to check in to see what was the Falcons. Uh, playoff status at that moment and I assume he was doing that via text and not calling but again that's one of those things where maybe there are better ways to go about it maybe it's not that difficult for a PR guy to check on his phone which he's allowed to do on the sidelines and then walk up to Jim Mora for two seconds and say hey look Cowboys won Redskins won we're currently two games behind or whatever the case whatever the situation was so you got to be a little bit smarter about that. There are ways, especially nowadays with public relations. I mean, you've got interns that you could maybe have check in with somebody and he can relay that message to you and say, hey, your daughter is okay or she's not doing well. At least do something like that. Don't put Joel Embiid in a very awkward position where he has to speak about it. And at the end of the day, now it's a big story because he had to put out a statement. He apologized for it after the game. Um, not the smartest thing to do, but again, there are other ways to go about it. I understand it's his daughter. If she's terribly sick, then maybe it's one of those situations where you say, Hey, look, it is a playoffs, but if your kid's more important than the playoffs, then perhaps it's one of those things where maybe you 
are going to be inactive for that game. I don't know. Again, I get it's the playoffs, but we do have our priorities as well. So that is something to consider when you think about a story like this. Final segment of the show, let's throw our penalty flags. So Steven Nelson, uh, I guess one uh, Chiefs fan, I believe he does listen to the podcast. He follows me on social media. He's also on the Facebook page. Uh, He tweeted something about how Steven Nelson is not going to be a very good cornerback for the Steelers. Steelers fans got angry and they tagged Steven Nelson on Twitter to see the tweet. And Steven Nelson was outraged that a Chiefs fan would think this way. And so... Uh, he responded, and the fan, and I apologize, I don't remember his name, I want to say it was Joe who responded, or Jimmy, uh, I apologize if I don't have the correct name, I believe it was Jimmy, uh, I think Jimmy responds to Steven Nelson, and chaos ensues, you can clearly see Steven Nelson's upset, and because of that, Steven Nelson then starts attacking the Chiefs, and starts attacking Chiefs fans, see, he said something along the lines of how, uh, the Chiefs actually did want him back, but they couldn't afford him. And he obviously signed a $25.5 million deal, three-year deal with the Steelers. Uh, then I posted a video of Steven Nelson getting torched uh, by Philip Dorsett in the AFC Championship game where Brady throws a terrible pass. Believe it or not, Brady does throw a bad pass from time to time. And Steven Nelson does not turn around because he doesn't want to look at the football, which could be thrown at his direction, and allows the touchdown. You really think the Chiefs wanted to bring you back and quote-unquote couldn't afford you? I mean, they probably wanted to bring you back on like a really cheap deal, but yeah, when you demanded $25.5 million, they probably said hell no to that. And listen, let me just say one other thing. If you are a public figure, especially a pro athlete, you need to accept the fact that there is going to be criticism for you. I saw him respond to the fan, to Jimmy, and saying, Oh, hey, I'm going to enjoy my life. You enjoy your miserable life. I'm sure you had a bad day at work. Okay, yeah, I mean, look, just because someone has never played football, just because someone doesn't know the game of football as well as you do, doesn't mean we can't criticize. And by the way, let me just clear something. You guys are listening to a guy who's never played football before. You're, you're, you listen to a lot of people who's, who've never played pro sports, not even collegiate, maybe not even high school sports. Yeah, you're listening to their takes. So Steven Nelson, of all people, and by the way, there's a reason why a lot of former players become broadcasters and they're terrible at it. So let's not forget about that either. Steven Nelson's going to be a big baby about this. Okay, let him be. But you got to understand, this is the... This is something you have to just understand and take. If you're a terrible player, people are going to criticize you. Deal with it or get better about it. And speaking of people who give too much attention to things that they shouldn't be giving attention to, I posted a video. Uh, it was a it was a short GIF actually of a pro wrestler Dave Batista, uh, which last week was uh, WrestleMania, and Batista. Uh, he was trying to get into the ring and he stumbled. He actually tripped on the ropes trying to get in the ring. And I wrote, 
struggling when it's two when it's still Tuesday, hoping it's Friday. And you guys obviously laughed about it. The WWE contacted Facebook because of my six second video clip, and they asked for that to be taken down. Now, look, I'm not gonna fight the WWE on this. It's not something worth fighting, but. Really? You're paying attention to my page? Somebody commented and said the WWE should focus more on their writing than your Facebook page, which, look, I mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, if I can flatter myself for two seconds, I think it's great that the WWE is paying attention to me. I, I, I did not know Vince McMahon cared so much, but uh, Vince McMahon proved that Roger Goodell is cooler than him. That's what I learned from this. And by the way, speaking of the NFL while I'm at it, uh, do you know what? I, I, didn't, I mentioned this on Facebook. I, I have not mentioned this on the podcast. Uh, I saw Mike Florio ask, did Ben Roethlisberger block you? And I'm like, no. I didn't even know Roethlisberger had a Twitter. So I click on his Twitter account, and I see I'm blocked by Roethlisberger. I, again, I, I, I did not know he had a Twitter. I didn't even... Obviously, I've never tweeted him before. So, Roethlisberger... Perhaps it's a social media publicist he hires... You're you're obviously searching for people's names, or you're searching for your name, seeing what other people are saying about you. Why? I mean, look, I get it. The Steelers missed the playoffs this year, so Roethlisberger probably had a lot of time on his hands to see what people were saying about him. But man, someone's pretty sensitive. WWE and Ben Roethlisberger. I'm also blocked by the Chargers too, but that's a story for another time. Uh, last story I, uh, I do want to touch on here. The Sacramento Kings hire Luke Walton just one day after being fired by the Lakers. Why? The Lakers only improved by two games. They had two wins more than the year before. They finished this season with a record of 37-45 with LeBron James. And I get LeBron James missed time. Uh, he had that injury on Christmas and ever since he returned from his injury, the Lakers have had the worst defense in the NBA. I know the Lakers, they cleaned house. They, in fact, they actually fired. The first person they fired was, uh, I believe, their athletic trainer because of the way he handled LeBron's injury and his return, which I know people were wondering for a long time, when would he return? But even then, man, why are you hiring Luke Walton when he had 35 wins before, right before LeBron and when he gained LeBron, he has 37 wins? You hire that guy on your team? I mean, look, thats I guess that's the way this, the, 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 the Kings want to go about it. But, yeah, and again, I don't follow the NBA as close. But you, you can't tell me there weren't better options than Luke Walton. I mean, it must, it must be nice to have that last name, Walton, and to be a former Lakers player. I, that must be really nice. That probably... Looks good, just on paper, but man, uh, I think Sacramento's going to have some bad years. Some bad years ahead. Joining us on the podcast right now is Stu Stone. Uh, He is an actor, director. I'm sure you guys are familiar with a lot of his work. He did a lot of animated work, and he's been involved with music with Jamie Kennedy. He was on Blowing It Up on MTV, and... He's been involved in a lot of movies. He just recently came out with a baseball documentary. Well, I shouldn't say recently. It's been out for a while, but it's now available worldwide. It is a documentary on baseball cards, but also a plot twist, too, involving family. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I mentioned this on social media. If you guys haven't, check out the movie. Uh, It is called Jack of All Trades. And joining us right now is 
the man in the documentary, Stu Stone. He also hosts the podcast, TSM Radio. Stu, thanks for being with us here on the Chief Stone Podcast. How are you? Dude, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I'm so excited. Can we Do we get to talk Chiefs? Like, uh, are we going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I mean, sure. Hey, I actually saw you uh, You and Travis Kelsey took a picture in the offseason. What did you guys do? Did you guys hang out? Did you watch the movie? Dude, first of all, Travis is the man, okay? Have you, have you ever met Travis? I have not. He is, like, as cool as you expect him to be. Just, like, the nicest. He's, like, just a true gentleman and a superstar athlete. And he just, like, is so... He towers over regular sized people. He's a mass. <laughs> he's a massive, massive man. Uh, super athletic. He is primed to be one of the greatest at his position, in my opinion. Not just because I met him and think he's you know a great guy, but because is look how he plays on the field. This guy is the best thing going at tight end, and you know he's just the coolest guy. My nephew Noah. Shout out to Noah, who's a huge. Uh, Chiefs fan, I'm sure he's listening to your podcast. He had his bar mitzvah recently. You know what a bar mitzvah is? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm familiar with it. It's like, well, if you saw the movie Jack of All Trades, there's a big bar mitzvah kind of tie in. <laughs> but my nephew Noah just had his bar mitzvah, which is like his 13th birthday, and it's like a, just like a Jewish birthday celebration. Anyway, right. I put together this video of like all these athletes saying like happy bar mitzvah to him. And I got like Melvin Gordon, and I got you know, uh, I got Tyler Lockett, and I got uh, Travis Stater, and I got Travis Kels- Kelsey, the man, and he is, uh, he's just the coolest guy. Now let's just talk about the Chiefs for a second. Sure, they have horrible luck. <laughs> Thanks for telling us. Gosh, I, I mean, it's like also just like the players like. Can't stay out of trouble. It's uh, it's pretty unbelievable what's gone on in 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 Kansas City in the last couple seasons. Um, but now you finally have a quarterback. Yeah, we do. And and it's not like a short game, Alex Smith, like five yards at a time quarterback. It's like a real quarterback who can run, who can throw, who can bomb. You got a real guy. I mean, every, every every everything he's doing is just blown up. He was, uh, I don't know if you're a big college basketball fan, but uh, his alma mater, Texas Tech, was in the championship, and everything he's doing is in the news. Every sponsor, I mean, this guy's he's the most valuable salesman right now. This guy's getting sponsorships left and right, and it is making headlines uh, locally. I and mean, he's him a being, chief. Yeah, he's a, he's a chief. We, we don't get that often in Kansas City. Um, yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, I just... I mean, you know me. I mean, you and I, we've talked many times. We've talked football. We've talked baseball. Uh, but, man, uh, I, I've, I've loved, I love this football team. I've, I've been following them closely for a long time. Uh, a lot of Chiefs fans are, are the same way. But we've been wanting this for a long time, and now we finally got it, and hopefully we can uh, find some success. Listen, I have been a closet Chiefs fan for many years. And have you? I have. I was always a big Dwayne Bow guy. I, I was a very, very. Are you just saying that? No, I swear to God. And I also like. I okay. was a big Jamal Charles guy. I'm talking about in my fantasy football. I would draft these guys, and I, I like the Chiefs. They haven't had a superstar quarterback like this since Joe Montana. You know, it's been a long fucking time since you had a real guy, and it's a and 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 
you got to win in the next like five years or else it's going to be all fucked. Like, <laughs> because these quarterbacks, once they sign the big contract, it's over. It's like you can only really win in the NFL when your quarterback is not on a big contract because you have to be able to afford to pay well, the rest of the players. You know what I mean? Once you have to pay the quarterback, you can't afford to have anybody else on the team. No, no, I hear you. The Chiefs have actually made a lot of adjustments this offseason. I mean, they've been cutting guys who have been eating up the salary cap, so they've already said publicly that they have been preparing to pay him next year, which is when he's eligible. But, still, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about you right now. Uh, you've obviously, uh, I mean, you're, you're gracious enough to, to give us some time. I know this is a really crazy time for you, so... Uh, let me just kind of set the stage right now. So you have <laughs> I thought, a. I thought I a, thought this was a Chiefs podcast. No, no. Well, we're gonna have a football uh, aspect to this because I do have some questions about okay. this. But uh, you have a documentary that came out, yes. Jack of All Trades. Jack of now all this trades. has been out for for a while. It's about baseball cards yes. and collecting them. So base now in the. Tr- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell you yeah, sure. I mean, I saw the trailer. I don't want to give too much away because I want people to be able to see this, but there seems to be some controversy about the baseball card industry, uh, and, yes, and you were pretty upset yes. with some discovery you made. Well, basically, well, uh, growing up, my family business was the baseball card. We had my, my father ran like a, uh, a chain of 11 locations of a, of a baseball card shop that sold – Baseball cards and hockey cards and basketball cards and football cards and posters and you know it was like the best fucking thing, right? And and that was my childhood. That was my childhood. I was obsessed with sports. I was obsessed with cards. And everyone seemed to be. It wasn't just me. It was like a huge fucking thing. Part of my language. This you allowed to swear on a Chiefs podcast, right? I, I mean, I'll, I'll edit it out, but okay, don't worry about I apologize. it. Don't worry about it. I figured That's that Chiefs okay. fans do a lot of swearing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do it at the end of every January. Yeah, we, we definitely fair. do. Uh, so anyway, and uh, sometime, uh, you know, like long, this all happened probably before you were even born. But, uh, you know, the bubble of the baseball card business kind of burst and it sort of bottomed out and people sort of stopped collecting. And you kind of see this happen now at a more rapid pace with things like fidget spinners, let's just say. Every kid loved a fidget spinner and then it was done, Right. Every kid loves uh, uh, Fortnite, and everyone's buying Fortnite, and Fortnite's the biggest thing, and then they're done. We're on to the next thing. Baseball cards had a long shelf life because it wasn't competing against the internet and video game systems. That's all there was was baseball cards. So it's like it was – every kid was into it and for, for, for years. And uh, right before the bubble burst, my dad got out of the business, and he sort of kind of – well, he disappeared – he just kind of took off, and and that was sort of like the end of my love and knowledge of baseball cards at that point, um, because you know when he left, it was kind of done, right? And uh, anyway, fast forward to about twenty years later, I ended up finding like my old collection of cards, and I had like the sickest collection. I mean, I, I'm looking you in your eyes because we're on Skype right now, and you can see me. I promise you, I had the. F- sickest collection okay like it was the best and you know finding it i was like holy shit i found it you know i was always told put this away 20 years later it's going to be worth a fortune well here we are it's time to cash in and i made the startling discovery of like what the actual value of these cards was which was a fraction of what i thought they was it was going to be and 
I kind of started this documentary trying to figure out what happened. How could that be? And, you know, it turns into more than uh, what happened to the cards. It's sort of it's discovered that, like, maybe the person that can actually give me the answers is, like, my dad. Because every I'm kind of getting different answers from everybody along the way. And, uh, you know, it, it ends up becoming a journey to see if I can reconnect with him. So I'm not going to tell you whether that happened or not. But I will tell you that it is an emotional ride. Uh, and it's a good old school hit of dopamine for anybody that is into old school baseball. If you're into Jose Canseco and Ken Griffey Jr. and Mark McGuire and that era of baseball, then you will really dig this movie. And uh, even if you're not, I think you would be into it too, just to learn about the hobby. And there was an era when baseball cards were the biggest thing. And, and you know, also the family aspect of it is kind of, you know, once we started going along with it and we got deeper and, and deeper down this black hole of like the family story, I sort of realized, you know, like maybe this was the why this, you know, I, I kind of said this to you before we started recording, but, you know, maybe this is the reason why I'm supposed to make this movie. You know, it's like it was, it turned into a pretty unexpected wild ride for me. So I'm really nervous slash excited that the movie is finally going to be seen by a worldwide audience. And, you know, at this stage in the game, I feel like it can help more people than it can hurt. Um, you know, maybe people will be hurt to find out that their baseball cards from the eighties aren't worth what they thought they were, but maybe some people went through the same thing that I did as a child, uh, as far as like the situation with my father, I certainly can't be the only person that went through something like that. And maybe somebody else who didn't get to go through what I went through in the end, will get to live vicariously maybe. And, you know, maybe they'll, it'll help them in some way. I don't know. But at screenings and stuff that we've had at film festivals, the thing that happens is after the movie, people are like the crying and coming up to me and like telling me their story. And it's like, people seem to really be attached to, you know, to be able to relate in some capacity. And it just goes to show you not, you know, everybody, everybody's got problems, man. Everybody's got problems. You've got problems. I've got problems. Your neighbor's got problems. Your boss has problems. Fucking Ken Griffey Jr. has problems. Everybody has problems. So there's no such thing as like a perfect life you know and if you really scrape at the core you'd be surprised to learn like everybody's got everybody's got you know everybody's got issues and uh yeah you know my family's no different you, you know it's interesting I, and i remember remember in the trailer uh you know it looked like uh you know on the outside everyone thought you guys had a good life but as you just mentioned you know you guys had your issues there and i, and I want to ask about that a little bit later but I, I do want to go to the baseball card part because you guys had the cameras rolling. I remember, um, and I don't want to give too much away, but at one point in the in the documentary, you guys realize, okay, the, the, you know, your collection is not worth anything. When you first started this whole thing, what was the attempted story? Did you think that this was going to be a story about how valuable your cards would be? Because at one point, it, you seem kind of like oblivious to the fact that your cards were not going to be worth much. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, first of all, I knew like what sparked the whole filming. In all honesty, was when my uh, grandfather passed away, and they, my mother, found all these boxes in his house. Like they went to go clear out his house, and in his basement, they found like fifteen boxes with my name on it. And I knew in my head that these were the boxes that I put away when we had to like move out of my family home in 1989 or whatever it was. And I knew that I was like a fucking pack rat and 
collected everything. So I was just like, we should film me opening these boxes because it's going to be like a time capsule. And who knows what I'm going to find in there? What if I put away something that's worth like a fortune and it's, you know, we can film it. So that was always like the initial reasoning behind convincing people that this was going to be worth shooting. Um, you know, I didn't really know that it was as bad as it was. <laughs> you know, the guy offered me like 40 bucks for like, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty crazy. But listen, you can make a lot of parallels from what I learned in that movie to anything. And I can just sum it up. I mean, hopefully people will watch the movie, but if they don't, I'll just give them this free, free life lesson that they don't need to, you know, watch the movie to learn. But with any collectible, as soon as people start collecting it, it's over. <laughs> the thing that makes something worth money is rarity, is, is scarcity, right? So once everybody is a collector of something and everyone's putting it into a collectible, a hard case, and they're buying a comic book and putting it right into a sleeve, that means everybody who's got the comic, everybody's got it in good condition. So basically everybody who collected a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card in 1989 Every, nobody flipped it at the wall or flipped it in their bike spokes. There was a kangaroo junior rookie card. They put it in a plastic and put it in a screw case and put it away. That means every single person who wants one has one. So how could it be worth something? Um, you know, it's the same with anything. It's like as soon as anybody starts, you know, when the guy at the gas station starts telling you about Bitcoin, it's probably too late to make money <laughs> in Bitcoin. You know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, you know, once Beanie Babies, that, I don't know, what, Pokemon or uh, uh, Magic the Gathering cards. I mean, there's been all sorts of different hyped up things that have come along over the years. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, even diamonds. I mean, I'm getting deep here. But how rare are diamonds? Every single per- How many people do you know that are engaged or married? Uh, a lot. Probably a dozen. Okay, and how yeah. many people in the world are engaged and married? Probably a lot. All of those people have diamonds. All of them. People have diamond earrings and watches and this and that. How can diamonds be rare if everybody has one? I don't know. Uh, that, that's a little off topic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's okay. But but baseball baseball cards are are now they've changed the hobby since then. So now they've recognized like the mistakes that were made back in the day. And now they do like print cards that are specifically designed to be rare. So it's like you pull a card. It's like a one of one signed autographed players, DNA and blood on it. Like it's like everything is designed. It's kids are out of it now. It's like a pack of cards, is like a hundred bucks and you get one autograph card in a plastic. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in the documentary, you did come across a big uh, baseball collector, a uh, baseball card collector, excuse me. In fact, it was a former baseball player who introduced you to this to this guy. Foul ball And uh, he talked to you about um, jerseys on cards and these kinds yeah. of things. And I have, a, I have a Babe Ruth baseball card where it has a piece of his bat, but... To be quite honest, I don't even know if that's really his bat or if it's just they, they just got a bat somewhere or a piece of wood and just put it on there. I mean, who knows? But you pulled that uh, from a pack. Yeah. Wow, that's a nice pull. Uh, well, I, I mean, I I figured it may not be worth anything. After Are you going to sell it? Jack of all trades. I don't know. I mean, you you're probably the... should have sold it like back when you pulled it. But let's look it <laughs> up. Do you remember what it is? 
Um, gosh, you know what? I, I, I have it somewhere. I don't know where it is. Actually, the funny like, story. Do you remember what year it was or what company it was? Was it Leaf? No, I don't remember um, what it was. But, I mean, it's okay. I, I mean, I'll, I'll look into it sometime. I'll even hit you up. I'll follow up with you all just to let you know about it. But um, th- these yeah. sports cards, you're looking it up, aren't you? Uh, I just looked up your Babe Ruth card and I got bad news for you. <laughs> what is it? It's worth like, you know, like. 50 bucks. <laughs> so it's almost worth as much as the box was <laughs> that you had. You know, think about the destruction that is happening to these national treasures. You know, a Babe Ruth bat. How many Babe Ruth bats do you think there are? But is that really his bat? I mean, how do we know that's not like a piece of wood from or from a different like normal bat? How do we know? That? I get I guess you have to trust you have to trust it. And if you watched my movie, you probably shouldn't trust it. But uh, <laughs> I'll tell you something. Dr. Brian Price who is in Jack of All Trades. He is a guy that was not only at my bar mitzvah, but I ran into him at a show. 20 years later, I ran into him at a card show, and he was a, uh, a baseball card industry uh, pioneer in a lot of ways. And I can give you a little backstory on him. He was partners with my father. My dad owned a hockey card company, which we didn't talk about in the movie, called Parkhurst, which was a hockey card company that ended up selling to Upper Deck eventually. Um, But then once that happened, Brian Price started his own company called In The Game. And he was the first guy to start cutting up jerseys and putting it into into the cards. Now, my mother, who's also in the movie, she at one point even worked for Dr. Brian Price's new company and she oversaw... The insert cards being – if you pulled a card that's like a redemption, she would be the one that would have to mail it out to you. The whole f- rationale behind it was that like he could get like one – for example, we'll just say a Wayne Gretzky jersey. So he could sell that Wayne Gretzky jersey, one of them, for you know $10,000 or he could cut it up into a thousand pieces and sell <laughs> it a thousand times. So it was kind of like a genius move on his part, but at the same time, people were getting pissed because he was – they were actually destroying these like mementos like, you know, that like – or, or real actual artifacts. So now it's gone into a whole other level. So Brian Price eventually sold his company to a company called Leaf Cards and Leaf is probably the company that made the card that has your Babe Ruth bat in it. Um, you don't – you know what's so interesting is like you see these things now where you have uh, a bat. A, a, you know, one of the weirdest sports cards I got was like representing the top two AFC quarterbacks with Peyton Manning on the top half and Trent Green on the bottom half. It was a vertical card uh, or excuse me, horizontal card. Uh, and you had Peyton Manning's jersey and Trent Green's jersey. So it's like two players and their jerseys on one card. I mean, these these cards have kind of gotten out of control. They're even doing it digitally now. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's... I uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but my nephew, he plays those NBA 2K and Madden football games, but NBA 2K basketball, and the whole game is like buying digital packs and like... He bothers my sister and they have to get him gift cards and he spends money and he's buying packs and you get the players. And I think you might get to use the players in the game, which is kind of cool, but you're still collecting packs and there's a whole place to trade with other people. And 
I know Madden has something like that where you're like getting all these players and you're basically ha- it's like a fantasy football team, right? Um, and I know that when I went and toured Tops, and this didn't make it in the movie either, but they toured they took me to a whole floor of the building where they were developing a Tops digital cards game or not game a collection, and it was a whole floor with like a hundred computers and all these programmers and. They were really thinking, you know, forward thinking about this, um, that that's what, you know, kids are playing on their iPads and phones and they're just trying to stay ahead of the curve. Now, it's ironic because a company that initially or an industry that was initially built on – did I already tell you the history of cards? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. Like I told you about like the cigarettes and the invention of bubblegum and all that? Uh, A little bit. Not too much. We didn't touch on that part, the bubblegum part much. Okay. So really quick. I don't know if I've already said this. But uh, initially, baseball cards were invented right around the time that the invention of the cigarette was invented. Before cigarettes, people were chewing tobacco or they were uh, smoking pipes. But they invented these cigarettes and they were not selling very well. So the company thought a great promotion because kids were the ones that were going to the stores in the bodegas to get the tobacco for their parents. They put baseball cards in the cigarette packs to try to sell the tobacco. That was the first big set was the tobacco set. You may have heard of a card, the Honus Wagner rookie card. You ever heard of that? It's like the most – I have not, no. So Honus Wagner rookie card is like the million-dollar card and it's so expensive because Honus Wagner was against tobacco and he told them, fuck you, take my card out of this, out of there. So they had to take his card out of the set which made his card super valuable and that's like the holy grail of baseball cards. Fast forward to you know several years later with the invention of bubblegum, it was like, you know, out of the gate it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it stumbled out of the gate. If you would listen to the Howard Stern show, uh, Gary would call it a stumble. <laughs> uh, it was a stumble out of the gate for bubblegum, and it's like some genius in the marketing department remembered what worked with cigarettes and the same thing they did with bubblegum. They had all this bubblegum sitting unsold, stale bubblegum, and they decided let's package it with these baseball cards and that will be a way to get rid of the bubblegum. So that's how baseball cards came back into play. And Topps is actually – they make Bazooka Joe bubblegum. And Fleer, if you've ever heard of Fleer, they yeah, – yeah. Double Bubble Bubble – Double Bubble is their company. You know, These are all confectionery candy companies that were trying to you know, hawk candy by adding the baseball cards. Anyway, the baseball cards became so popular that they became the product. So to make a long story short, it's ironic that now in this digital age, you know, it's there is nothing tangible about it. It's like before it was about getting the gum. Then it was about getting the cards that you can hold in your hand. And now there's nothing. It's just a file. But that's the same thing with everything, right? Music is just a file. Movies are just a file. Photos are just a file. Like nothing – is it's it's sad, you know. It's um. I don't mean to sound like the old man on the porch complaining about like in my day we used to hold the picture, <laughs> but it's it, you know you know even you go to the you your maybe your generation's fine, but younger than you they don't know to go to a record store and browse around and look through music or go to a video store and try to choose a movie and you know if you, you you take that movie home and that's the one you're watching. You, now you can sit at home and it takes you six hours just to f- go through Netflix to. F- find something to watch so it's like uh you know too many choices but that's another conversation for another time my point is it's not surprising that baseball cards are going into the digital era and you know what for the sake of the game i hope that something happens i hope it takes off i love 
baseball. I love sports. I love football. I like, you know, if, if it's something that engages kids and, you know, then that's good for the sport. You know, it's so interesting. I remember having worked for the Royals and I, I played some of your music there. I remember we would uh, run commercials about digital baseball cards. And that was the first time I had heard about it. And I thought, you know, what what value is there in these cards? So we'll see uh, how that I goes. Mean, I, don't, I, do I, would, I would doubt that there's value unless there's like – it's like some Bitcoin type of thing where it's like, oh, the Mike <laughs> Trout, there's only one of that file, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, Stu Stone is with us. He is the director of Jack of All oh, Trades. Yeah, the reset. I love podcast. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I used to be in radio, Stu, so you, so you know all about this. Uh, also the host of the TSM Radio podcast. Check that out. And also check out his music, uh, Return to the Stone Movement. Uh, Stu, I, I do want to ask you something about the movie. And this is not a big uh, plot giveaway. Uh, this is kind of a funny moment. It's actually very early in the documentary. But I was kind of confused about something. So... I guess you, your sister, and your two nephews, you guys are on your way to this card show. Yes. But but I guess something happened where the box was just in the middle of the in the middle of a parking lot and your sister ran it up. How did the box I mean how did how was it in no one's possession and how did it get run over? Okay, so interesting you should ask that. In the original cut of the film, that was like a 12-13 minute scene. That was heavily edited down to like the three minutes that it is now. So it's like the story doesn't really unfold the way that it could have. But you get the idea in, in, in the movie of what happened. But in, in reality, you know, when you're going to film somewhere, I can't – in real life, spoiler, I can't just go into a place with cameras and just start filming. I need permission to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I pull up to a card show with my sister and my nephews, when we get out of the car to go, I'm like, oh, wait a second. Hold on a minute. You guys stay in the car. We got to go inside and get them to like give us permission to shoot in here. Oh, okay. So you guys wait for a second and we'll go suss it out and we'll come right back. So we went inside all of like three minutes. (laughs) I went inside. I come back outside and my sister is gone. I walk over to the parking space where we were and my whole box of cards, which I had put down because once we got out of the car, I just put the box in. They're not going anywhere. And I just went inside. So I come out. So she claims that her kids wanted something to eat and they were thirsty and they were cranky. And I'm like, I was gone for fucking three minutes. (laughs) There's like drinks and snacks inside that building. Why did you need to leave? Anyway, so she drove and she – this box of cards that had been sitting in my grandfather's basement for 20 years that I had just filmed going through the entire everything and my sister runs it over. So right away, I mean even before I went inside to sell these cards. So I, it, in my mind, I don't know what they're worth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm still on my original like these could be – this could be payday and you, she just ran them over. All of the mint boxes are run over by a car, and and and, and so she didn't in, realize the box was on the ground. No, no. Okay, yeah. But she okay, also this makes sense. She also didn't apologize and made it sound like it was my fault that I'm the one that like should have. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it turned out to be quite a huge ordeal and a big argument. And at the end of the day, you know, the original cut of the movie that I had turned in is is about twenty minutes longer than the movie you saw, and there was well, a well, lot there was a lot more baseball card stuff in it. Hopefully, Carrie doesn't get mad that we uh, that we asked that. I know 
your brother-in-law, Adam Rodness. Uh, he was, but by the way, just to be clear, I mean, I know this because I followed your work and your family's been involved in a lot of your work. Uh, but I think a lot of people could get it mixed up. Uh, Adam and Carrie are not married. No. So, yeah, okay. So I think, I think people might mix it up there because we saw them hanging out a lot in the, in the film. Yeah. So I think someone could mix that up. Yeah. We do see Adam's wife, uh, near the end of that film. Yes. Uh, by the way, speaking of Adam, uh, he is in Shazam. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's awesome. Yeah, I've yet to see it, but uh, I'll I'll definitely keep an eye out for him so uh, when I go see it. Funny thing about that is that Adam was in a show called um, Hemlock Grove, a Netflix show called Hemlock Grove. Do you know that show? Hemlock Grove is that what it's called? I, I Hemlock, have not heard of it. Hemlock Grove. Hmm. Let me Google that. I don't want to say it wrong. All right, but uh, Adam, just to be just so everyone knows, I guess you and Adam had worked together. For a while, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I assume he met uh, your sister, one of your sisters, through you, and they got married, and now he's been involved more with some of your projects, I, I guess. Uh, you are absolutely correct with your detective work. Uh, <laughs> it is called Hemlock Grove. I knew it wasn't crazy. So Adam played a, like, a really funny role of like the receptionist for the bad guy on Hemlock Grove, and I guess maybe the producers or something of... Uh, Shazam may have been a fan of that show, and then he pretty much plays that same role in Shazam. So it's pretty funny. But anyway, Adam married my sister Dina. So Adam, back when I was doing the Blowing Up show with Jamie Kennedy, Adam was worked for me and Jamie. And he was my friend. He was in L.A. with me. He was – when we were riding high, he was right there. And then when the show ended, he like went back to Toronto he ended up getting involved with my sister. I was like not happy about that at all. <laughs> and sure enough, they ended up, you know, getting married despite my protests. Uh, and I ended up giving him a real, a hell of a roast at their wedding for the wedding speech. But, uh, you know, it's turned out to be a really great thing. Uh, obviously they have a couple of kids now, my nieces who I love and Adam is my business partner. Now we have a company, five, seven films. We're both five feet, seven inches tall. And uh, we have uh, a couple of movies out. One of them is called The Haunted House on Kirby Road. One of them is called Scarecrows. Those are both horror films, both available on iTunes. And now uh, we have a, a, a magic series called The Thrillusionists that's on um, CBC here in Canada. I think you can watch it on YouTube in the, in the U.S. And then we've got Jack of All Trades. Um, so we're doing pretty great. Out of the box, we've been very productive. I know Haunted House on Kirby Road. That's won uh, a lot of awards, and that is available in the U.S.? Yes, that's on iTunes. Okay. I, I, mean, it's I, not, I I'm by no means am I saying that that is a great movie. Uh, it's not, but it's a fun movie, and if you can just go into it with the expectations that you're just supposed to like check your brain at the door, and <laughs> it's like a popcorn movie to have fun with, then you're going to really like it. And I think that when that movie went to film festivals, uh, it's caught a lot of people by surprise because – of how funny it is, and I think it was so different compared to all the other horror movies that were playing at the time that it made us different, and we got a lot of attention, and we won some awards. And then Scarecrows uh, is our second horror movie, and we made we ha- we the company kind of complained that Haunted House and Kirby Road was a little too funny and not enough scary, so we had to like make Scarecrows a little bit scarier, and uh, it's still very funny, Scarecrows, believe me. But uh, anyway, so I'll put both of them on the list. Yeah, you should watch watch them in order. So you got to watch. Uh, Which Haunted, one is first? Kirby Road is first. You got to watch that first, okay. and because the movies kind of tie into each other. 
Because okay. I'm, that is I'm, good to know. I'm the type of crazy person that would like create my own Marvel universe, even though nobody gives a f- about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure. So, I mean, look, you want some awards for it, so I, I think you deserve a little bit. I've, I've never seen it, but look, I don't think you win awards on accident either. No, so. but I mean, I just was pretty honest with you of why we won these those awards. So it's not like I'm saying it's not like uh, Saving Private Ryan or something like that. It's not some crazy. Uh, like I said, it's like stupid fun. And it's funny. It's really funny. And there's like some TSM in, in, in Scarecrows and Kirby Road. There are plenty of TSM Sunday Night Stew inside jokes in the dialogue in both <laughs> films. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, I told you this before we started recording. Uh, but one of the uh, one of the things I really like about by the way, I, I do have something to say. Um, uh, your work has kind of changed it's impacted my life um you know and i'll get into this in a moment but uh you were the voice of uh, a character on the magic school bus ralphie and you were also on bab i never watched magic school school bus but i did watch babar and knowing that you were on that years later is pretty cool to know one of the things i really enjoy about your tsm radio audience is a lot of the listeners connect with one another and one of the listeners amy Actually, she lives in Canada. Amy. That's right. Yeah, Amy. Uh, I uh, reached out to her on Facebook. I said, look, you're in Canada. You have access to the film, the documentary. Can you just point your laptop to the TV? Because she said it's on demand for her. Because <laughs> I wanted to watch it. I, I didn't want to do the illegal torrent thing. But at least I thought that would be like one step below that. But another person uh, who I've connected with quite a lot uh, and someone who I text often and uh, I keep in close contact with is uh, Mary uh, Mary Beth. Mary B, the OG. That's right. Uh, now, I she, wonder if she saw Jack of All Trades because this seems like a movie she would really like. I, I, I have yet to text her. It just I know she's really busy with her schedule, but, uh, but the she reason needs she, to watch, she needs to watch this movie. Even if oh, she's, she been like, she's been quiet for the last little while in TSM land, but she is somebody that I know needs to see that movie. It's like she, she would love it. She is the reason that I've lost 40 pounds. She has helped me wow. out quite a lot in Good that for area. You, man. So. Yeah, I mean, with her sex, like with the her sex that, exercise. <laughs> no, no, but um, no, man. Uh, it, it, it's just cool knowing that you know I followed some of your work when I was a kid, not knowing that you were behind it, and now following some of your work now and connecting with people like Mary. So technically, uh, I'm responsible for you, for you losing the forty pounds. Yes, Stu Stone. Whenever someone asks, "How did you lose forty pounds?" I'm going to say Stu Stone. Yes, yes, Stu Stone. How did you do it though? Was it like a, a, a an exercise and diet program or what? You know, Mary connected me with one of her friends uh, who had this uh, thirty day ab workout, and Mary and I just had a lot of conversations too. I mean, she just told me, "Look, you got to be consistent. You've got to take care of your yourself. You got to eat smart on a consistent basis. You've got to work out on a consistent basis." and uh, you know, I would work out a lot, but I would eat a lot too. And I just started being more consistent and more smart with it. Patience is a big one too. People will work out. They'll say that they ran on a treadmill three days in a row, but they don't lose two pounds. It's like, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in two no, or three it's, days. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not, it's not, it's not like uh you know, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Uh, so Mary, Wait, how tall are you? That. I'm 5'11". You're 5'11". I was, I was 220. 220, and wow. Good I, yeah, I dropped to 180. I'm, I'm like 185, 190 now. So you're, like but in fi- you're in like fighting shape right now. Uh, I, I don't know if I would win that fight, probably. 180, you're ready to roll. 
Um, but I do want to get back to the documentary. I know we've sure. uh, congratulations, digressed. by the way, on that. That's really cool. no, thank you. That, that that's awesome. And again, that's inspiring. You're, uh, that's really a big cool. reason for that. Um, I know we, we we've digressed into other topics, but hey, that's okay. Uh, I mean, I, I I could talk to you for hours too. But uh, in the documentary, you um, uh, this part I don't want to give away too much because it is very interesting how this discovery happened. But your father was located, and I think anyone who has followed your work on your podcast they don't know the details but they are aware that your father left your family at some point uh and you've made references to that you've never opened up about it so when you found out that your father was going to be part of this were you hesitant because this is a a pretty big part of your life that you're about to pretty much broadcast to the whole world yeah it's pretty it was pretty crazy man and it was a decision that uh, I, you know what? It's a decision that I don't know if it would have been made if that if we weren't filming a movie. You know, I think that the fact that we were shooting a movie helped sort of make the decision for me that like this is supposed to be what's hap- this is you know it's like the film gods when they deliver you something like that you gotta you gotta you gotta go with it. Now listen, that doesn't just go with me. That's like every good documentary you've ever seen. That something like that happens. It's like the best documentaries are the ones where they take like a crazy left turn that the producers and the director were not planning on. And that always makes it like a really, really good documentary. I mean, I don't know if you've watched a lot of documentaries, but recently over the last, you know, since I would say since like the, the, the Netflix popularity, uh, documentaries have become more popular because people are watching them and discovering documentaries on Netflix, right? And ESPN 30 for 30 movies are phenomenal. And, you know, people are watching and and getting to see documentaries on a larger scale than ever before. But uh, the true crime ones that are really popular, you know, know, Making a Murder and The Jinx and The Staircase, all really tremendous um, documentaries or docu-series, they all have these crazy twists. You know what I mean? And it's like stuff that they could have never planned. Um, and that's what that's what was sort of happening to us. You know, I, I don't know if I told you this already, but at some point I was willing to put in the movie if we were going to take a trip and try to go look for my dad. Maybe that would have been something that I was willing to do because I thought that that would be interesting if I went and sh- flew to like some random city in Canada that I've never been to without knowing where he lives and like – try to track him down by going to like the casino or wherever the fuck he might be. And, you know, that would have been, and if I didn't find him, it would be okay because it would still be like the journey to to, to try to find him would have been sufficient. But, you know, like I said, the film gods were shining and randomly this guy just shows up and it was crazy. Um, I'm happy that we did it. Uh, But again, like, I don't know if me and him would have ever come together and had that type of conversation if it wasn't for this movie. Uh, this is a really silly question because, yeah, of course, you know, the cameras are rolling because you, you're the director. I mean, you guys are you guys have been working on this project. But I kind of do wonder, do you did you guys ever forget that you had a camera there? And the reason I ask that is because at one point in, in the film, uh, you and your sister, Carrie, are having a conversation. Yeah, and uh, my favorite. She says, uh, off the record, I disagree with you. And I'll <laughs> yeah. let people find out what exactly she was disagreeing with you about. But I, I chuckled. I'm like, wait a minute. This is all on film here. And you said the same thing two seconds yeah. later. You're like, no, it's there's a camera right there. Do yeah. you guys ever just 
you know, you guys are going about your business, doing this baseball card uh, documentary, the, uh, trying to do the story at the same time, look for your dad. Did you guys just forget sometimes that there was a camera and a boom mic there? Yeah, listen, I mean, the first, it, when I was doing the blowing up, taking it back to the blowing up series with Jamie Kennedy, where there was no script and there was no anything. We were just like put in situations and be funny. You know what I mean? The first two, three days of us filming, maybe the first two days, I was so terrible. I was so stiff. I was so aware of the camera. And it was just came across as just like bad acting and just not. I mean, maybe it wasn't as bad as I'm making it out to be, but I just felt like I was so stiff and so contrived. And by the day three, day four, you start to get once you start to forget that the camera's there because you just you're just comfortable at that point. And then it just becomes like a comfort thing for me. I've been in front of the camera my whole life, literally. Like I started acting at age two. I've been on sets and in front of cameras my whole life. So I'm fine. If a camera's rolling, you know, it was different with Jamie, but in general, you know, I'm fine. And I think for my sister and the others who maybe didn't go through those experiences, by the time we're having that conversation, we're like a month in. (laughs) So the camera's like rolling or it's not rolling, like who knows? But I think that when I'm editing the movie, and with Harv and just we're putting the movie together and a gal who is our editor, he's the legend. But uh, I I really felt I wanted to keep that type of stuff in the movie. There was a lot more of that type of stuff where we kind of broke the fourth wall that didn't make the cut. But that was a moment that you're speaking of that I'm so happy you remember because that was something I fought hard for because I loved that moment so much. And I think that it helps also remind the audience like this is a real thing you're watching. You know, it's, it's like it. It's raw, it's real, and like I like that about it. And you know, I'm working on another project right now. That's um, I want to call it say it's a documentary also, but it's it's nothing to do with uh, baseball or baseball cards or anything like that. But I am working on something else at the moment, and it's the same thing. Like I I keep telling like you know I'm directing it, and when we're shooting it, and the cameraman is wants to be on the inside of the door to film us walking in, and I'm like. Why would you be inside already? How did you know I was going to walk in there? <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you got to fucking follow me and let me go walk into the room because people are going to think this is all bullshit because what? how did you guys know I was walking in the door? You know, it's like you got you got to follow me and let me lead you through the door. And so it's th- that type of stuff that, uh, you know, you – I don't know. It, it, it really bothers me when I watch movies and see that. Or uh, So I just wanted to make sure we didn't have any of that. And we kept it legit, you know? Like when we went into that card show, um, the cameras didn't go in there until we went in there. And that's how you'll notice, you know, our, the coloring the movie was a real pain in the ass in some spot, spots because when you go from like outside in the summer, it's like indoor into some like shitty hotel conference room. The camera is like – it has to readjust and it's like a whole thing. But we wanted to keep it authentic. Um, we didn't travel with lights. It was just a couple cameras and a sound guy and that was it. And uh, yeah, this is getting into some technical stuff for your for your listeners who want to make documentaries. No, I, I, I love that information. I love knowing that. I'm a huge fan of Survivor and I've always wondered like – how do they set up these kinds of camera shots and cameras? So I love hearing about these kinds of things personally, and I think a lot of people are, are more curious about that than we Most think, too. Most of those shows, and I don't know, I've never worked on Survivor, and I don't know people. I know some people that worked on the show, but not like 
in the trenches. But, you know, without speaking out of turn on that particular show, wow, Calgary Flames just scored again. Uh, I would say Stu that... Is, uh, Stu is watching his hockey while we're recording this. Yeah, playoff hockey, man. The Leafs won uh, tonight. I don't know when people are listening to this. Yeah, my, my, my Golden Knights got humiliated in game one, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, That's okay. I forget what I was just saying, but I'm sure it was great. Uh, we, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the behind the scenes, essentially. Yeah, uh, whatever I was saying, like the end. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't. No, it's all good. We, we get the idea, though, because I think it's always like people. And we were just kind of talking about that with, you know, uh, getting the right camera shot. Your cameraman wants to be already yeah, in the right, building. Right. And it just kind of looks weird in that kind of That's because they're like kind of taught that in film school, maybe. But yeah, like that I don't, I don't, <laughs> that's not, that's, it doesn't. That's not that's not my style, and that's you know. I, oh yeah, this is what I was saying. I remember most of those reality TV shows that you watch are like completely produced, and oh, of course. not to burst your bubble, but it's basically you know it's bullshit. I would say eighty percent or higher, ninety percent is bullshit. Maybe ten percent is authentic, and the rest of it is all nonsense. And you know the worst thing is like when you try to get someone who's not an actor to act. It's never good. So the best thing to do with real people is let them be themselves and make them feel comfortable and let them get to a place where they forget the camera's there. So even if I'm interviewing somebody and you only see three minutes with me and Conseco, I was actually with him for two and a half hours. And, you know, we got comfortable and got to know each other. So then by the time, you know, the stuff that we're using in the film, it's like where everybody's comfortable. But when I first got there, it was very, <laughs> he was very tense. He was not that interested in talking to us. And, you know, by the end of it, he loved us. You were starstruck but, in the beginning. Oh, it's the best. What do you mean? Seeing Kinseiko, it's insane. He's like a monster. He's like six foot five, like 225 pounds. He's like, still looks like he could hit like 700 foot home runs. He's, 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 it's amazing. And when I interviewed him, I didn't just ask him about, about about baseball cards. I was asking him like anything I could think of. Like it was like a dream to be talking to Kitsego. I asked him about McGuire and steroids and this and that. I asked him, <laughs> I asked him about Jose Batista and bat toss. You know, <laughs> I asked him about everything, and uh, he turned out to be a really great guy. I think he's sort of a misunderstood guy uh, in the world of sports. And I know he hasn't done much to help his case in some instances. I think he does a lot of over the top things to try to get some, you know, attention and for whatever reason it works for him or sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, and I'm old enough to be able to tell you this in 1988, there was no better, no bigger superstar than Jose Canseco. I'm talking about the biggest. This is like, Michael Jordan was uh, was was big, but baseball was way ahead of basketball at that point. And Canseco was hit, did 40-40, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases in the same season. He won the MVP. The Oakland A's were winning World Series championships. The Bash brothers, they were doing the fucking, you know, it was it was a magical, magical uh, time to be a sports fan. And Canseco was as big as it gets. So for me to meet him, that was like meeting like a childhood god, you know. Now, uh, I, I don't think this was ever clear in the film, 
Uh, but you are obviously Canadian, and you're a huge Toronto Blue Jays yes. baseball fan. And I know you and one of the listeners who I mentioned earlier, Amy, you guys you guys were sending some things my way during the 2015 ALCS, and I I was like hesitant on responding until the Royals had like a firm lead, and I was kind of nervous in Game Six. I thought we were going to blow that because I had I had a theory that if you guys won Game Six in Kansas City, you guys were going to win Game Seven. And oh yeah, are you kidding me? And then Jose hit the two home runs in that game, and you know. Uh, the Blue Jays could not fucking score. The runner was sitting 90 feet away, and they could not move the runner. It was insane. It was, I think they, it was like a failed bunt attempt or something. It was just, it was devastating. And I, I remember where I was when that happened, which is crazy. I was in Las Vegas. I was working on a, sh- a wrestling show called Global Force Wrestling, which at the time was run by Jeff Jarrett, who's like a WWE yeah, Hall of yeah. Fame wrestler. I don't know if you're familiar. And I was that night. I was working. I th- this was I thought was my big break in the wrestling. Now, world, now would be a good time to let people know you are also. Uh, yeah, you have like this big resume that I don't think people realize. You're also involved in yeah, pro I, wrestling. I, I'm involved in professional wrestling. I'm a a, uh, a uh, wrestling personality on the Championship Wrestling from Hollywood show in the uh, FSW uh, uh, league in Las Vegas and a couple other places around the West Coast. And I actually re- throw wrestling shows in the Toronto area now with Megan Boys Entertainment, but. Anyway, that particular day, I was working with uh, Jeff Jarrett in the ring in a big angle with Nick Aldis and Jeff Jarrett and Chris Masters, and it was an insane thing. And then I kept checking my phone, and I saw the runner on third, and I thought, <laughs> we're going to score this run, and I was heartbroken. That, that, it was heartbreaking. And then the following year, they like choked against Cleveland. Uh, your uh, and now would be a good time. I wanted to bring this up, but your um, anyone who follows pro wrestling closely, like if you watch WWE, I don't watch it as much anymore. I mean, I'll follow like Royal Rumble, WrestleMania time, and all. But uh, anyone who follows wrestling closely, and if they follow the independents, there's a name they're very familiar with, and that's Colt Cabana, who uh, you are very good friends with. In fact, uh, yes. And in fact, he is in the documentary, uh, which is really cool. So I hope pe- uh, people who are pro wrestling fans, maybe not baseball fans, do check it out because of him, because. Uh, he is in it as well. Um, and you guys have done some work together. He's been on your podcast many times. Uh, what's that been like having that working relationship with one of the more well popular and well liked guys in the industry? You know what made Colt Cabana popular? What is that? Like, no, no. Well, I mean, he was already popular for his wrestling, but you know what? Like, really took him to the next level. No, he had a podcast. Oh yeah, the, the Art, Art of Wrestling, wrestling podcast. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. And you know where that started? I don't. It started with Cable Guy Jeff and Stu Stone and over at TSM Radio. Really? Colt, Colt, the art of wrestling was, was birthed from TSM Radio. Colt started out as a guest on TSM and a regular correspondent, and he was on Sunday Night Stew all the time until he was ready to do his own podcast. And we set him up, and he was off to the races. And all the credit to him, he has made so, his career has soared leaps and bounds from that podcast. Uh, he has surpassed the hell out of me, even though I've been doing my show for almost for over 13 years. Uh, Colt has surpassed the hell out of me as far as what he's achieved, what he's accomplished, and what he has done for his bank account and his career. Uh, it's phenomenal to watch. I'm so proud and excited for him. He's still one of my favorite guys in the world. He's such a huge fan of this baseball card movie, and I know that he has like passed it around to a lot of his wrestling buddies. So a lot of them have been hitting me up over the last year. Uh, some funny wrestlers hit me up that they, they got to see it. But, um, you know, Colt is a huge supporter of mine. I'm a huge supporter of his. I think we've got each other's back. 
And, you know, at some point there may be more from me and Colt in the future because there's always – we're always pitching ideas and coming up with stuff to do together. It's just a matter of finding the exact right thing at the right time. But I have – all the confidence in the world that Colt and I will be doing something special together at some point. Yeah, I did watch the match uh, where you were the heel, the bad guy, and you were in the corner of Adam Pierce, uh, and that was against Colt Cabana for the NWA Championship. Uh, that was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I had never watched independent. I've seen like ROH and uh, I don't know if TNA is considered independent promotional but but uh that was the first time i ever watched nwa uh was when you guys all got involved in, ma- in the match which was a lot of fun to watch um uh Stu, i did want to ask you well for, first of all you I, I alluded to this earlier and i've told people about this because i've shared your music with some by the friends, way adam said, pierce the scrap on adam pierce who i managed who was the nwa world's heavyweight champion he's now like a big dog at, in wwe I don't know if you ever is he a writer? He's like a producer, and if you ever watch okay. the show, he's always on TV breaking up fights, and he's always on screen as like the guy that's like ripping Ronda Rousey off of the opponent. You know, he's he's <laughs> he's always on TV. But uh, Adam has also made a cameo in me and Jamie Kennedy's New Year's Eve special. <laughs> oh boy, do you want to get into that one? No, that's another episode for another time. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I will say. I mean, I hope you and Jamie are, were able to look back at that and laugh. Of course, uh, it's but the best. I'm sure in the moment it was. I had was I, listen. I was. I'm a gamer, man, and the ship was going down, and I was the band, and I played all the way down. I did not jump overboard. <laughs> I stayed on the broadcast all the way till the end, and I was a complete professional that night. But uh, obviously, the production uh, was in shambles. And if you need context, you just go to YouTube and you. Just, Search Jamie Kennedy New Year's and you'll see the greatest live television spectacular of all time. <laughs> um, but uh, it was it was a lot of it was it's it's one day we should do a documentary on that. It's like it was the yeah, I was it, just it was gonna like, say that it was that. like the fire festival of New Year's Eve specials. And I think that oh, uh, you know we've talked about it, but you know <laughs> we we we've tried to do more New Year's Eve specials since then, and we can't even get a license from a network. No one will give us a live. No one will give us live uh, airtime because of what happened last time. I remember you were um, – it's obvious you're reading a teleprompter and there were two drunk girls yeah. behind you who were like right. mouthing along with yeah. what you were saying. So you know what, what's really funny about that is that like right before we went on the air, uh, I realized that I, 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 don't, I, I don't know where they went but I lost my glasses. So, oh, man. And I can't see without my glasses i'm the same so, way so and i got this fucking teleprompter to do certain parts of the show to be when we're throw, talking about a specific thing that i need to know about i got to read this teleprompter so i had to wear my sunglasses <laughs> which i was used to doing because on sunday night stew and stuff i always wear the sunglasses but on like a nighttime outdoor broadcast I'm like wearing like full sunglasses through the whole episode <laughs> um but it was actually because they were prescription and i needed to see <laughs> oh man yeah i mean still already gave the uh the description on how to find it on youtube if you want to i've shared that kind of stuff before online it's 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 unfortunate you were part of that but hey Dude, i mean you, mean you have such a great it's sense great I well yeah, you 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 have a great sense of humor about that kind of stuff if that was me i would just i would want to ride up into the sunset and never be seen again there's such a thing as failing upwards my friend sometimes something can be so spectacularly bad that it's good and you know that's what that is. That's called performance art now. <laughs> I, I alluded to this earlier, and I've shared your music with some friends, and I, I said, you know, if you're a kid, you may have 
been following his work on Magic School Bus, he was Ralphie, and I told this to one girl, and she's like, well, they don't sound the same. I'm like, yeah, well, that's because he was a kid, and, you know, your voice changes <laughs> over time, but uh, I, you were Ralphie on the Magic School Bus. I was also was Ralphie, cool. uh, fun fact, I was also Ralphie um, for many seasons on the highly successful series Friday Night Cranks. Um, <laughs> and I yes, think you were, and I, and I even used your name in some <laughs> legendary pranks, if you recall. Well, there was one where you guys, I don't want to describe the plot too much, but you, and you got so pissed at me. <laughs> yeah, it was because, well, first of all, you were spelling out my name. You were spelling out my last name. And when you said V O U people like followers of Friday Night Cranks tweeted me. They're like, oh, he's saying your name. I'm like, yeah, I don't think there are any other V-O-U spellings other than mine. So, and at this point, I'm like, well, look, if you search my name on Google. You were like super pissed. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, and I think Jared was upset that I was upset. So, like In but, hindsight, now, like, you could laugh at that. Oh, I think it was the most hilarious thing ever. Honestly, I, I think I, I overreacted, I will admit, but... You gotta understand my position, man. I mean, you guys are doing some borderline things. I think you used to be a little bit. You were a little bit more uptight back then, and once you dropped the forty pounds, you've lightened up, and your your you've lightened <laughs> up your your whole mental attitude is lightened up as well. You're smiling and laughing a lot more, and now you can appreciate the genius of me <laughs> using your legal full name in a prank phone call. <laughs> Fair enough. By the way, I did. Um, and it was you, completely you, out of love, just so you know. Oh, I, I, I'm aware. I'm aware. I, you could send in requests of those kinds of things. And I had him call one of my friends and say she was not accepted to Texas Tech. And she started uh, – she was tearing up. But then when she found out I was the one who set up the prank, she was laughing. And she she just embraced the whole thing. I know her sorority sisters would play it as like a prank on her. And she just loved it, which is uh, which is pretty funny. Um, but uh, before Magic School Bus, you mentioned you started acting at age two. You told me the story before. So I guess your sister, I don't know which one, but she was doing a photo shoot. Carrie. And Carrie. She was doing a photo shoot, and I guess she was with a baby who would not stop crying. And she mentioned that, you know, she has a brother who has long hair who could uh, come on as a girl on set. So your first ever acting gig was a girl as a baby. Yes, my first role was as a baby girl in a pink baby outfit. And I've been dressing in women's clothing ever since. No, uh, you know that was it. That was my first job. Was as a uh, a, a stand-in for a crying baby girl. They just put a baby girl outfit on me, and there I was. And they called me back the next week and the next week. And you know, ironically, my first TV commercial was for a, a product called Maple Leaf Ham. So I was like a Jewish kid in a ham commercial eating ham. And. Uh, <laughs> I did a mac and cheese commercial that was like very famous in the 80s and I was the voice of the little green sprout in the green giant commercials and uh, you know, it's, things started really picking up for me uh, career-wise with the voiceover and the acting. The other thing was that I was, I looked, I was really short first of all and also I looked really young and my voice didn't change until way later. So I was a lot older but able to play younger. And that was a huge advantage, uh, you know, in acting that like the kids, you know, I'm 11 playing nine and I can like bring a lot more life experience and texture to the part as, an, as a seasoned 11 year old. I mentioned I, I never watched Magic School School Bus, but I typed in your name just out of curiosity to check out your work on that show. And I typed uh, Sue Stone Magic School Bus and there's this episode called Ralphie Gets Sick. 
And everyone in the comment section is, is saying Stu Stone, Stu Stone Friday Night Crank, Stu Stone blowing it up. People are like mentioning you. Uh, but I think you shared the story once before where because your character was sick, you had to change your voice. And I guess the producers and the directors were pretty impressed with how you how you handled that role. <laughs> the episode is called Inside Ralphie. And Ralphie gets <laughs> sick and the bus shrinks and goes inside Ralphie. And how did they get out of Ralphie? They get out the way you think they get out of Ralphie. Okay. It's, uh, they literally Is that go, appropriate for a kid's show? No, but it's, I mean, it's won awards. Uh, <laughs> and essentially, like, Ralphie has to, like, <laughs> the bus out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened. You know, uh, you know, that's <laughs> such a funny thing. I, I've never really thought about it like that, but. You, uh, I think you got in trouble because, imagine this, you mentioned earlier that Chiefs players have gotten in trouble because of TMZ. You got in trouble because of something you did on TMZ. You did an interview. I guess they're bringing back Magic School Bus or they're doing a reboot. And I guess you were not supposed to do that interview. Uh, I guess you, I think you mentioned a story where you um, met the new cast for that and you were wanting to take pictures with them and they were kind of freaked out like, who is this guy? And you had to tell them that you were on the original cast. Uh, are you still a part of that or, or are you allowed to say anything? You know, <laughs> it's a sensitive... You want to just give the no answer? No, it's a sensitive uh, subject. I've obviously gotten into a little bit of trouble um, in the past talking about the Magic School Bus new series. So I probably am best bet sticking to talking about the older series. But the new one... Fair the enough. The new one is on Netflix. And yes, I am on it. And I'm completely honored that they wanted me to be a part of it. And, you know, I wish that I had done things a little bit differently in hindsight. But, you know, mistakes happen, and I've apologized, and hopefully we've all moved on. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think you gave anything away. People already knew. I don't think so either. But listen, what are you going to do? Like, I don't I, – I mean, I'll talk to you about this off the, off the record anytime. Sure, sure. But as far as the show goes, you know, it's really cool that they did a reboot, and they have uh, uh, Kate McKinnon playing Miss Frizzle in the new one from Saturday Night Live. And they have a whole new, um, you know, cast of kids and stuff. And I got to be on it, and I did a bunch of episodes of it, and it was a lot of fun. And I'm still very, very good friends with the director of that show. She is somebody that I grew up in the business with. She was a child actor when I was growing up with her. She was the voice of uh, Lydia on the Beetlejuice show. Uh, but she was also on that show, The Big Comfy Couch. Do you remember that show? Do you remember, did you guys have mm, that there? No. Anyway, she was a big child star. She's now directing the Magic School Bus, and I'm very good friends with her. She's a great, a great woman. The the last thing I wanted to uh, to bring up is on uh, blowing it up. You uh, work closely with Bob Saget, and yeah, I, I, I I'm just glad it was Bob Saget and not another Full House uh, actor like uh, Lori Loughlin or anything like that. Because I think that'd be pretty awkward to have to to have to discuss nowadays. You know, free Aunt Becky. That's all I gotta say. Um, <laughs> She's just an, an uh, 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 she was just trying to do right by her kids, and she got caught up. Um, it's pretty crazy though that like you know she might go to jail or something like that. I hope that that doesn't happen. But it's like you know not that I'm gonna I'm not here to talk politics or anything like that. But you know Donald Trump can do whatever he wants and gets away with anything. But like Aunt Becky gets like pinched trying to like get her kid into school, and and she's gonna go to jail. Um, 
you know, I'm not saying Donald Trump should be in jail, but I'm just you, you understand the parallel. I'm yeah, yeah. I you know, there's mean. all sorts of people that are really skirting the law and doing stuff that like nothing ever happens to, but like they're gonna throw the f-ing gloves off for Aunt Becky. Um, you know, it's probably not great what she did, <laughs> and you know, to think that there's kids of wealthy parents don't have advantages. I mean, that's a clear case so that they do. And it probably makes people like me and you and a lot of your listeners work extra hard to get what we want in life because we weren't, yeah. we weren't handed things. And hopefully you, you want to hope that even if some of these kids are handed things, that doesn't mean that they're going to end up with like a bad character. Um, you know, you hope that they're still going to be decent people. I know plenty of wealthy people who are nice people and I know plenty of wealthy people who are pieces of shit. You have to hope that like, you know, that's not what's going to happen with these, with these kids. And it just the whole situation is pretty shitty for her, and you know it's hard to feel sorry for them. But Bob Saget is a dear friend. Uh, I haven't s- spent as much time as I used to hang out with him back when we were rolling with Saget, literally. <laughs> um, but uh, he did me a huge solid recently, and I I love him. And it was my nephew's bar mitzvah. The same video where I got Travis to say a message. Saget Sa- nice. Saget yeah, sent yeah. in an incredible message. Uh, and it was so funny. And, uh, you know, Bob is a legend. And if you ever go see Bob Saget perform stand up, uh, he comes out onto the stage to, to our song Rolling with Saget every time. Oh, that's awesome. I had and, no idea. Uh, yeah. So he's he loves me. He loves the song and will forever. The story of just recording the rap song Rolling with Bob Saget is one of the most legendary things ever. And I've, I've told the story before on the Burt Kreischer podcast. Um, I did see that. So people can go listen to that and if they want to hear the story. But it was pretty – it was literally like the first time I ever really met Bob was like in the recording studio where it was like me and him and an engineer that barely spoke English. It was just the three of us and we like – at the end of the night, we had the song. That is awesome. Stu Stone here with us on the Chief Stone Podcast. He is the director of Jack of All Trades. Hey, go check it out. I'm not a big baseball guy but I still really enjoyed that. So if I enjoyed it, surely you will. If you were – Intrigued by the boom of baseball cards in the 80s and 90s, then you guys will definitely be uh, interested in this documentary. So check it out. Check out his podcast, TSM Radio, his music, Return of the Stone Movement. A lot of his music is out online. Uh, Stu, I mean, you've been very gracious and very generous with your time. And uh, not to get into the details, but we did have have some technical issues. And you've been super generous in giving us uh, time. This is the longest interview, probably my favorite interview that we've ever had on this podcast. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, is there anything that you want? Should we talk some Chiefs? Did you want to? <laughs> uh, I, I, I think – are you ever going to come to Kansas City by the way? I've actually been to Kansas City uh, a long time ago with Jamie Kennedy. We did a show in Kansas City at like uh, this comedy club. I want to say it's the Improv but it's like oh, downtown. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like maybe – it looks like it might be next to like a Gap or an American Eagle or an Abercrombie. So, you know, it's like downtown. Yeah, I know exactly uh, where that is. You know what I'm talking about? There's like maybe like a Joe's Crab Shack type of restaurant around there. <laughs> but it's like – I forget. But you know, and then we went to a uh, – let's just say we went to like a late night club <laughs> afterwards <laughs> in downtown Kansas City and that was pretty fucking grimy. But the barbecue was really good. Um, Travis ironically has invited me and my nephew to go – to come to Kansas City to a Chiefs game to, and he said we could go sit in the box and whatever we want. I don't know if we're actually going to. Oh, that's awesome! I don't know if we're actually going to be able to take him up on that, but I'm going to damn well try to take him up on that, and I would love to go. And I, 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 I don't know if I mentioned this to you already, but this is a great way to sort of segue 
um, until we speak again, I'd love, you know, we can come back and do this again another time, but yeah, I'd um, love to. the only NFL game I've ever been to in my life was a Kansas city chiefs game at Arrowhead, not at Arrowhead. Where was this in Pittsburgh, Monday night football chiefs at Pittsburgh. It was freezing and pouring rain. I was with Jamie Kennedy, myself, Phil Glasser of the Phil Glasser treatment. And I forget what year. This is like the like maybe uh, 2011 or 10 or you know Dwayne Bowe was on the team. Oh no, I remember this because that was the game where Todd Haley, our former head coach, uh, he wanted to run up the scoreboard on us, and we forced overtime. But we got criticized because we were. It was evident that we were practicing more dance moves than we were practicing. They didn't win the game in that game. Chiefs. No, they they lost an overtime. Chiefs didn't win the game. Matt Castle sucks. But uh, it was a hell of a game, and just to see these guys in person, if you've never been to an NFL game, I still say it was like one of the greatest sporting experiences I've ever had. It, there's nothing like it. It's the best, and the people who shit on football are stupid. It's the best. <laughs> um, not only is fantasy football the greatest thing ever invented, but but. Going to a live football game and the tailgating and the fandom and the chants and the passion and you know these guys fans want to beat the crap out of each other. It's 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 an intense, exciting, exhilarating, especially in a close game. Um, and and I've actually gotten fortunate enough to befriend some NFL players over the years. One of my very good friends is Mike Williams, who uh, was a former Seattle Seahawk. He was a USC standout. Oh, that's right. He was on TSM radio a million times and Sunday Night Stew and all those shows. So. When he was playing with the Seahawks, um, that was when I really got hooked on the NFL because for, in Toronto, we don't have an NFL team. So we have the Buffalo Bills, which is like the closest thing. And, you know, other than those yeah. uh, <laughs> four Super Bowl losses in a row, there really hasn't been much going on in <laughs> Buffalo. Um, so getting to become like to, into Mike and watch him play with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll was over there when he first went there. It was pretty cool, and I was uh, I was really into the Seahawks at that point. Um, but you know, once Mike's got injured and and is no longer playing there, you know, now I, I'm kind of a free agent um, when it comes to football. I do like um, Patty, your quarterback, but I'd say that my favorite football player, and I hope that oh, first of all, Kareem Hunt, that's crazy, uh, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was, I was, I, my mom texted, I was at work. My mom texted me and said, what's going to happen? And I had no idea that the footage was out when I saw this, I was just floored. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. And now he's on the Browns, right? Yeah. The Browns. Um, but I, uh, I'll tell you the player that I like, well, for fantasy purposes, like Todd Gurley was the man, but I think he just got ran into the ground. But the, but yeah. the, for my money, my favorite player in the NFL right now is Melvin Gordon of the Chargers. Call me crazy. But he is he is a, an exciting player. And uh, I love him. Yeah, you mentioned earlier he was one of the guys who um, recorded yeah. a video for your uh, nephew's Yeah, bar, he recorded bar videos. So, you know, I think I got him on that video more for me than for my nephew. <laughs> but uh, he's just such a good guy. And he's just such an ex- exciting, explosive running back. And hopefully he doesn't shred Kansas City. Well, I was just going to say, um, if you're ever in Kansas City, let me know because I'd love to meet No, up. I will. Uh, I want to go to a Royals game and, like, you know, that's what I want to do. I, I've told Mary B, because of everything she's done for me, I if, if because she, she's a Red Sox fan, uh, but she's not Ugh. a Patriots fan, Ugh. thankfully. Ugh. Yeah, I, I know. Ugh. Exactly. 
The Red uh, Sox. But, that's like the worst thing you could be as a Red Sox fan. Uh, but uh, I told her uh, if she's ever in town for like a Kansas City Red Sox game, I'll hook her up and her family up with uh, really great seats. But do you, you gotta know? Come- do you know the only thing worse than being a Red Sox fan? What is it? No, no, I'm asking. Do you know? Because I can't think of anything. Oh, I, I would say a Patriots fan, but <laughs> I guess that's fan, the same Bru- thing. Boston Bruins fan. Ugh. Um, but no, she. Um, I told her I'll, I'll hook her up if she ever is in town for a KC Boston or just even a KC game. But you got to go to Arrowhead, man. I mean, if Travis Travis is willing to hook you guys up, you gotta you gotta do that. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It's insanely loud, and it's one of the greatest experiences I've ever had as a, as a sports fan. So hopefully you get to do I, that. I want to do it. For sure I want to do it, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do that. And uh, that would be great. And hopefully Mary B's listening to this show, and shout out to her. I miss her. And hopefully she gets to watch Jack of All Trades, and hopefully your listeners weren't too bored by our stories. And um, go Chiefs, and hopefully they all can watch Jack of All Trades. It's available on iTunes. Try not to watch it on an illegal stream. We need the support. We're an independent, small but mighty film. Every dollar counts. It's not, it doesn't even go in our pockets. It just allows us to make more movies. And that's what we. That's what this is all for, right? So try to support us, and you're really not yeah. doing us any favors by watching it illegally. So please do the right thing and uh, go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you watch uh, Amazon or wherever you watch your streamed movies and uh, do it the right way. But uh, if you do watch it, give me a shout on social media, Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, at Stu Stone everywhere, and uh, S-T-U-S-T-O-N-E, um, and, and let me know what you think. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, because you've been so generous with your time, I, I was wondering if there was anything that you wanted to plug before we before we let you go. Any projects or? Are you going to let me? You're going to let me plug something? Well, I mean, we, we've alluded to a lot of these things <laughs> earlier, but it, because you've been so great with, with our t- with with your time here on the podcast, I, I sure. think you at least deserve that. Here's what I want to plug. I want to plug Cable Guy Jeff's son. His name is Riley. He is doing great in school. And he just got a job. He's working, and he's doing real great. And I want to give a shout out to, to Cable Guy Jeff and his son. <laughs> That's what I want to plug. There you go, Cable yeah. Guy Jeff. Yes, Cable. Just to be clear, Cable Guy, Cable Guy Jeff. I like to call him Direct TV Guy Jeff, but yes, uh, he's he's been your producer for Sunday Night Stew and for uh, for TSM Radio. I know T- I know Sunday Night Stew is on a hiatus, but hopefully it comes back. I love that show. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But uh, either way, shout out to Cable Guy Jeff, shout out to Mary B, shout out to you. So proud of you and all of the strides that you've made professionally. I've been following you for for over the years. I appreciate that. And I, I've watched your evolution in your from your broadcast career all the way uh, to work in the booth in the Kansas City Royals games as uh, doing the music and all that. I think it's really special. I think it's great that you're always including my stuff in your stuff. And, you know, I think that uh, – I know if I'm ever in the Kansas City area, I got a friend in you, and that's really that means a lot. That's awesome, man. Hey, Sue, thank you so much, and congratulations on the documentary. Super awesome. Uh, I I rented it and then I purchased it because that's how awesome it was. I want to keep it on my uh, on my iTunes. Oh, that's so. very sweet. Big thanks for shout out to Jared big by the way, to Jared from Friday Night Cranks and from oh, from, Friday from, Night uh, from the Late Night Web Show and yes. from the book Prankaholic. Shout out to Jared. Yes. Shout out to Jared. is essentially the reason that you and, you and I are really yeah. talking oh, at there this you point, go. to be honest. So, yeah. And a uh, stew shout outs to all of the Friday Night Cranks listeners. I don't know if any of them listen to your show, but if they do, hopefully this is the episode that they chose to listen to. So, shout out to them. And uh, 
That's about it, man. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate All the right. support. You're the man. Thank you, Stu. Take care, man. We'll, All we'll right, connect we'll... again. There you have it. Stu Stone. Uh, man, what an interview that was. Longest interview I've ever done. Um, whether it's on the podcast or interviews I've done outside the podcast. I've never done an interview. I told Stu, I go, hey, man, any chance you can come on 10, 15 minutes to discuss the doc? And it ends up being an hour and 15 minutes. But uh, he was super, super generous. Uh, we did have audio issues. And look, Stu gives crazy answers. Uh, obviously, I mean, hopefully you guys got a laugh out of that at least once, maybe five times. Uh, Stu is not only one of the funniest people I know, but one of the nice people I know and a very talented guy as well. Uh, super nice guy. Uh, you know, highly involved with his family in his professional work too, which is very cool. Uh, you know, it's not often that people get to work with their own family members in their line of work. And Stu gets to do that from time to time. Uh, and he got to do that in this documentary. I think that's part of the reason why this is so special to him. And obviously with his father being involved, it just adds on to this crazy story. So, uh, I can't stress it enough. Please check out the documentary, uh, Jack of all trades. It is available. I mentioned on iTunes, Google play, probably some of the more notable, notable places, uh, like I said, DirecTV Xfinity has it, but I think iTunes is maybe the best place. And uh, he is in need of, of some support for that. So not only do I ask that you guys rent it or buy it, uh, I, I, I rented it and then I bought it because I loved it that much. Uh, I did not think I was going to buy it uh, from him. I thought I was just going to rent it and watch it once. But I want to keep that in. I, I know I'm going to watch it again down the road. Maybe show it to, to a few people here and there. But uh, he's also in need of some five-star reviews. So if you guys don't mind for just a few seconds... Uh, go to iTunes and go to his movie and give that a five-star review as well, if you guys don't mind. I did it. It's going to take just a few minutes, so if you guys don't mind doing that, uh, he would greatly appreciate it, and it would really help him. And uh, check out his music as well, which is also on iTunes, The Return of the Stone Movement. Uh, love his music. I actually have it. I, I played his music before I coughed in stadium. I listen to his music sometimes when I'm working out. And he has his other uh, work as well, uh, Haunted House on Kirby Road, Scarecrow. And if you guys ever want to check out his past work, you can go on his Wikipedia or his IMDb, and there's a big list of things. Uh, I mean, if you had kids in the late 80s and 90s, uh, or if you were a kid yourself during that era, then you're probably familiar with some of his work. Maybe you didn't know who he was as an actor at the time, uh, but I, I gave you guys uh, some of the list of things at the beginning of the episode. Uh, he's done a lot of work in the industry. Uh, I know not the most notable name, but... He's been involved in a lot of uh, a lot of projects that you're probably aware of. So, uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, uh, please do check out the documentary and check out his past work, his music, and his podcast as well. TSM Radio. All right, since this was a very very long episode, and maybe you guys spent multiple days listening to this, certainly understandable. We're actually going to move Thursday's podcast to Friday, and not only that. On Friday, we're going to be joined by Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. He will talk to us about today's media avail- Monday's media availability with the Kansas City Chiefs and other Kansas City Chiefs news, the Chiefs offseason, and the draft coming up. So we will talk to Matt Derrick on Friday's podcast. Might not be an hour, 15 minutes, but uh, it'll be about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll have Matt Derrick on then. No closing segments, obviously, for this week since we did it on this episode. Uh, but we will talk about media availability from the Chiefs on uh, Monday and any other Chiefs news that comes up. That will all be on Friday's episode. 
Big thanks to you guys for listening. A big thank you to Stu Stone for his time coming on the podcast. Again, please check out the documentary and all of his work. Facebook.com slash Sugan. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter as well at Farzine21. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share the links as well. Big thank you to all of you once again for down- downloading and listening to the longest interview and the longest episode ever in the history of this podcast. Had a lot of fun with it. Hopefully, you guys, you enjoyed the interview. I know it was long. We generally don't have interviews that long, but hey, man, when Stu gives all those crazy long answers, uh, I'm, I'm going to give him the time, and uh, we had a lot of fun uh, doing that, Stu and I, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that as well. Big thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys on Friday. We will be joined by Matt Derrick. Enjoy your week.